Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Fly Purbly with Steve Jacot and Craig Forsyth. Folks, as you may recall, last week we started the episode talking about Eddie Lacks. What was it? Controversial takes, Craig? Uh, unpopular takes? He, he had some hot takes. Yeah, he had uh, three opinions that got progressively worse. And uh, I think we thought the last one was uh, it was indefensible. Like, we just thought you couldn't really... There there was no logic behind it. But uh, apparently uh, apparently you've got some news for everybody. Well, it, <laughs> you so, took, uh, <laughs> took matters to your own hands. I took matters to my own hands after... Well, I got a few Twitter comments on this. I actually was expecting to get maybe, like... And ew, who does that kind of comment? But I actually got some comments trying to explain why. So just for the background knowledge, point number three was Eddie Lack enjoyed putting pasta or putting ketchup on pasta, which mm-hmm. yeah. you and I both found to be absolutely insane. Sounds but, fucking nuts. Yeah. yeah, sounds weird. It's something yeah. we've never fathomed in our life. Yeah, no, thank you. But yeah, we, we got a few Twitter comments on this. Though. The first one came in from Paul M. Monsoon 87. Ketchup on pasta is a British pub thing, or at least it used to be. It's watery spaghetti with watery ketchup. It's as gross as it sounds. They also sometimes eat it in Japan. <laughs> I think it might come from the Great Depression. Okay, well, that I get the Great Depression angle. That makes sense. So uh, it's still, that sounds pretty gross for a pub food, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. so... Then Neon Terror Comrade Mikey came in and said, it's also a Scandinavian thing, I'm pretty sure, especially for like single parents working full time or young adults too lazy to cook proper meals. It's not supposed to be gourmet, just good enough. And went on to say, I'm pretty sure it's because ketchup was available in a lot of countries before jarred pasta sauce ever was. So it became a thing. Scandinavian Uh, food culture is not sophisticated. That's that would be highlighted by ketchup on pasta. Yeah, that that's a pretty good indication of it. And we we got one more comment on this. Uh, Annabella nineteen oh four came in and said, "I heard of ketchup and pasta once. My ex and his two roommates spent all their money in alcohol one month, and they only had pasta and ketchup that a bar owner had given to them. So they ate that for like two weeks. It still sounds disgusting." What? Yeah. Nah, yeah. That's uh. Yeah, that's something. Uh, but I, I don't want to try it. But uh, Stephen, I mean, 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, right. well, uh, number one, right I, I was people. delighted by getting these comments here. Like I, this made my Friday last week. <laughs> I just, you know, made the work day just fly by in the afternoon and I really enjoyed it. So thank you for all the Twitter comments that it, it truly uh, made my day. Uh, that said, I decided in the name of, of science, of podcast science, that I needed to step in and check this out. And also there was another uh, comment from, from good old Jay on the blog. Broad Street Hockey came in and said, "Oh, Jaybird, all right." Yeah, Jaybird said it might be a Filipino thing as well, and sent me a recipe that I might try on a future episode. But I decided to do do a little food purbly action, or as uh, M recommended, uh, line cooking with Steve. But (laughs) (laughs) I like both names. But hey, listen. The lady says it, and like it's, it. it's just catchy enough. I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. I like it. Yes. That's a good name. <laughs> but I decided to take matters in my own hands and for the, in the, for the sake of science, try this recipe out myself. See what the deal is with ketchup and pasta because it just sounded insane to me. And we're not talking, you said Ian mentioned macaroni and cheese as a potential. Yeah, so Ian had in the past that said something about ketchup on mac and cheese. We both decided that that is... Like mac and cheese isn't really when you say pasta. I don't really think mac and cheese. I don't know. Like that, a lot of other foods come to mind before mac and cheese. If somebody says pasta for me, but that is, I mean, that is technically ketchup on pa- uh, pasta. So uh, and also that, apparently that is a combo. Also something I'm not traditionally doing, but this was oh not, absolutely yeah. The base experiment that I did today was I wanted to see what ketchup and pasta tasted like. So what I did is I had. I looked at what I already had at my house because I really did not want to spend much, if any, money on this, <laughs> on this science experiment. Yeah. So I looked at my cabinet and I had uh, I had some fettuccine. So I said fettuccine is a good base pasta to try with this kind of thing. You know, it's it's pretty thin, goes with pretty much any kind of pasta sauce you might you know go for. And all right, fine. So I made some fettuccine for lunch today, and what I did was I made. So I mixed some with ketchup and then I made my own little ketchup mixture instead, you know, just to see like, okay, maybe I can make something that tastes like vaguely pasta sauce like, yeah. you know, just to see if I could just to, yeah, cause I, I, I do enjoy cooking. I enjoy experimenting around in the kitchen, but I, so I tried both. I had regular ketchup and then I had a mixture that I made that was ketchup, sriracha, pepper, salt, uh, garlic powder and onion powder and basil so a whole bunch of stuff and i always i personally am a big fan of sriracha and ketchup together i usually put it on like anytime i have a cheeseburger i I use a sriracha ketchup mixture because i i find the sriracha the chili sauce really balances out the the sweetness of the ketchup really well does sound like a pretty good combo yeah i guess that makes sense so i tried both out and the straight up ketchup, I was expecting it to be horrible, just not edible at all. And you know what? It was edible. <laughs> it was not something I'd eat again, but it kind of, honestly, you know what it kind of reminded me of was SpaghettiOs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's yeah, just okay. because like SpaghettiOs are like a very, like they're, they're pretty sweet, right? They're, they're pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So having the straight up is... pasta and ketchup. It, it was very Great. reminiscent yeah. of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. When I I think the last time I had spaghettios, 
was in the winter of 2008. Steve, when was the last time you got SpaghettiOs? I don't even know why I specifically remember that. I, I, it's been like fucking 12 years. I want to say... It, it, I, I would say it's been at minimum five years, but probably more than that. And the last time I had it, my adult palate was just like, what are you feeding me? This is like very <laughs> you're serving me here it was yeah i, I was gonna say i think i had like i came home from school freshman year and i had three cans in my house and i had them on christmas break because i did not feel like i, I didn't feel like doing anything else for food like i just wanted to heat up a bowl of spaghettios and that was it so i think that was the last time i had them but uh when you were a kid though did yeah. I, I know i had a lot of spaghetti oh all the you. time Absolutely. What was yeah, your? It was a go-to for poor people. What was, exactly, <laughs> exactly. What was your go-to though? Was it original? Was it hot dogs or was it meatballs? I like meatballs. I was a meatballs a guy too. This is why we're friends. I'm, it's it's a good. That's why we're doing. We should do a podcast together or a couple. Yeah. No. I mean, it's a good. It was a good combo. And uh, I I think if they had, you know, how the uh, Captain Crunch just has like the just crunch berries. Like if they just had the spaghettios meatballs, I think I would have used that. Like I would have, I would have used that with the ketchup and pasta, probably. You know, if I was to make it, they were, it was pretty good. It was good meatballs. They're good meatballs. Spaghettios, if you're listening. But uh, yeah, spaghettios. Uh, been a minute. In a minute. Yeah. It, but it, good. Been a minute. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought this was reminiscent of spaghettios, which my adult palate again was not very receptive to. But you know what? Yeah, it I don't was, know. Yeah. It was edible. I can see myself, especially in my college days or my fresh out of college days when I did not have much money because you know I'm really rolling in dough now. But compared, oh, absolutely, man. compared to right after college, I make much more money than I did at that point. Uh, yeah. But I guess like I, I don't know. I guess like I can see that angle of it being like kind of uh, I, I always when I was, in, I was thinking of like ramen as like the go-to no money trying to just eat a meal type of thing right but i never was like you know what this ramen needs a whole bunch of ketchup on it i don't know <laughs> i just i was like i was just kind of eating it as is but i, I could but see it. i could see it at the bare minimum i, I guess yeah it's, i guess so. it, it's yeah. not something i would willingly do again but i could see it <laughs> and i'll tell you All what right, the yeah, sriracha ketchup fair. i not something i'm also going to do again although i do put sriracha and ramen noodles together all the time because they're fantastic but it was I, I thought it balanced out the flavor nicely and it was it wasn't quite a pasta sauce replacement and I put too much sriracha in there because afterwards I had to, you know, gurgle a little milk to get rid of that. Go bad. <laughs> Just a little bit. Not not a ton, but I definitely I put way too much sriracha in there. But it was you know yeah, I, yeah, I got it, you. it was pretty good, all things considered. Not ideal. I would not recommend this for anybody, but you know what? It was it was not an unsuccessful edition of food probably here. All right, yeah, it's a good uh. So that's a it was a good introduction to a uh, to food probably. It sounds like it was a hell of an experiment. Hopefully, uh, we'll probably get more things you can take the chances on later on. I guess I don't know. We'll hear some weird ass food opinion, food opinions coming up here probably. I'm all about maybe. I'm all about it. I, this is all my my backwards pilot my backdoor pilot to try and become <laughs> and to, to get away from me. Yeah, I gotcha. No, it's a good, it'll work. That, yeah. No, you can join me on the road as we, we go and eat weird foods wherever they may be. I mean, that's like an ideal job. And right it's there, just what guy Fieri does. He goes around and just eats food and that's yeah, pretty much it. I'll just be, I'll just be the guy that watches. Like, I'll go with you and I'll watch you eat it and go, that's good food. And I'll be like, that does look pretty good, but I'll never eat any of it. I'll just be there complimenting. I'll have like the cushiest job. <laughs> 
I'll have the Vanna White of like the fat, like diners, diamonds, drives. It'll be the best situation ever. So, so let you me just know order whatever the hell you off. want on the company dime, and <laughs> you get to be the Andy Richter and my Conan over there. And I, I see how it is. Yeah. Hey, Andy. I'm pretty sure Andy Richter's doing all right. I mean, as far as you know, normal people go. I don't know how much money he's making compared to Hollywood elites, but uh, I mean, yeah, I'll be Andy Richter. I'll be Andy Richter of the food world. That's fine. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Totally in for that. But thanks for everybody who contributed to that. Uh, I did enjoy this and definitely will do some future, you know, line cooking or food probably, whatever you want to call it. But uh, good time. But that, you know, we've spent the first few minutes not talking about any hockey. So let's get into the hockey talk. And there's, you know, not a ton of Flyers news this week, but there's a little bit. There's, you know, it's like that pinch of basil I put in my sriracha ketchup today. There's just a, a pinch of Flyers <laughs> news, but I think you got a little bit. We're talking talk a little Phil Myers today, Craig. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk Phil Myers mainly because uh, Charlie talked about Phil Myers earlier this week. And it's the big thing with the Flyers right now is figuring out the uh, how to manage some of these pieces with the limited amount of cap space. Uh, so uh, Charlie wrote about uh, projecting uh Phil Myers RFA contract, the contract he's going to get this summer. And uh, I was looking at what the low end would be and what the high end would be, and then talking about uh, the cap space afterwards. And uh, pretty much if we just think Myers would be worth the money. And the one thing that Charlie pointed out that I feel like is pretty accurate of the situation is this is kind of the ideal time for the Flyers to be given Phil Myers a contract because I feel like there's enough there to know that Phil Myers can be a good top four. We don't know if he can be a top pair guy. You see, he has the tools though to be a pretty solid four. Like if he's the fourth best defenseman on your team, you probably have a pretty good defense. And unfortunately for him, his counting, like his stats, his goals and assists and everything, really aren't great. Uh, so we can't really push too much for a higher, you know, contract with that. Uh, but uh, he also doesn't play special teams. Like he didn't play a lot of special teams minutes on. Um, the power player, the penalty kill. So that could help the Flyers uh, as well. Um, and I think uh, if they wanted to lock him up long-term, either way, if they give him a short-term deal or a long-term deal, I think the Flyers are going to look good in terms of whatever they hand to him. So uh, the main person uh, Charlie pointed out or thought was a pretty good comparable, and it looks like it based on points per game and uh, minutes played per game and everything, uh, is Matt Grizzlick of the Bruins who signed a, a two-year deal in 2018 with a $1.4 million cap hit. They call him the Grizzly Bear. They call him the Grizzly. Yeah, that's right, baby. And uh, he, I feel like Myers is better than him. But again, it's kind of hard to sift through that based on just advanced stats, I guess. Like, I don't think there's too much, really, in terms of actual production and minutes played and everything. And that's why it's pretty good comparable. And what the Flyers should be pointing towards in terms of if they're going to go the two-year route. Um, if they go longer term, and uh, the example you used was from Evolving Hockey, they were talking about six years. Evolving Hockey's prediction is six years, $3.92 million a year for Phil Myers, which, I mean, if you can lock him in now for that, that may not, I, I don't know, that wouldn't be the worst idea. Not too shabby. Uh, yeah, and Charlie thinks it might be a little bit higher than that. I kind of don't see any way he's not get at least four it does feel kind of like a four to 4.5 million range type of deal and uh six years i mean like six years feels like something i don't know phil myers would want to sign that if i'm phil myers i think i do want to sign the two-year deal because he looked better this year than he did last year he was a pretty reliable guy i mean sanheim and, and 
for the beginning of that Islander series, Sandheim and Myers were the pair that I wanted. And I think most fans wanted out there as a top pair most of the time because Niskanen decided to uh, poop the sheets. And uh, I think Myers is only going to get better. The big question is, and why the two-year deal might be a good idea for both, or mainly him, is two years from now, he might clearly be a top pair guy. And that would be the reason why the Flyers need to sign him up for six years because Niskanen isn't going to be here after next season. I don't know. I would not say Myers. Right now, I have confidence that Myers would be a bona fide top pair guy at some point in his career. I think he can be. And I think if it came down to it and he was the best right-hand defenseman the Flyers had and the top pair was Proveroff Myers, uh, I'm not going to really complain about that, especially if he's making $4 million a year. But I can see how... Like, the first two years we've seen Myers, he's had moments where he kind of questions his hockey IQ, or, like, there are just times you're like, what are you thinking right there? Or, like, he just doesn't finish, like, a board battle or something, and then somebody... Like, it seems like he has really lack of days to go play sometimes for goals against, but, if like, if he fleshes those out, uh, there's really not too much to hate about Phil Myers' game. Anywhere on the ice, uh, on the offensive zone, neutral zone, or defense zone. Like, he, he's got a lot of tools you like. Also, he's a right-hand defenseman with size that can skate well, uh, is not is physical, but that's not the first thing you use to describe Phil Meyer's game, which I feel like is the is the kind of physicality you want. When it's not the main thing that's advertised about a player because you know he's going to be focusing on hits rather than defensive assignments or anything, like pull the Zach Bogosian in, uh, in game. I think it was one where he wanted to go uh, defend Braden Point or wherever. Well, and that's, that's one of the things I really like about Phil Myers is the fact that he he doesn't overuse his physicality like he uses it when it's necessary he's not somebody you really have to worry about as a a discipline issue where he's just gonna get too physical and you have momentum and then all of a sudden phil myers just does a dumb penalty gets over aggressive with somebody coming in and we've we've seen him use it to to shut guys down late in the game i always think back to uh the blue jackets game earlier this season with was it Bjorkstrand oh my god I think it was uh I think it was Bjorkstrand yeah the one who just bodied into the corner as time when it was winding down and he yeah. flew uh, he sent flying I think it was Bjorkstrand yeah it was really unfortunate what happened to Bjorkstrand as a result of that play but it was in no way a dirty play from yeah, Phil Myers it was a and clean it hit. was yeah. it was such a great play to see from a Flyers defenseman as far as it, like so often we see Flyers defensemen over the years, just let guys come into the zone, muscle their way in and score the tying goal with a few seconds left. And Myers just shoved him down. It was like, I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's exactly like he's, he used it at the right time. I was saying, th- I was laughing when you were saying, uh, he doesn't really take like unnecessary dumb penalties. Cause I was thinking of like in fucking game five. Yeah. Game five against Canadians. He took that double minor after the whistle. And it was like a completely, like that, but that was more of like a hockey IQ thing. Like that's the stuff. I think that's the stuff he can iron out. And if he does, he might slowly become like one of the more underrated defensemen in the league. And that's why, if I'm the Flyers, I would lean towards a longer term deal. I don't know if the Flyers even care. And I think Charlie said that in his article too that I like they're fine with if they just get him under control, whether it's short or long term. They're they're fine either way. Uh, I, but I'm thinking if I'm Myers, I want to only do the two years for a lower cap hit. So then the Flyers do get the bargain. The team probably gets better. And then he's like, all right, where's my money? And then he can kind of, and he'll be a UFA. And he, or he should be a UFA. Yeah, and then he'll be able to go from there. Um, so 
Uh, again, I think right now will be the time. If I'm the Flyers, I do. I would like to lock him into a, a longer deal. And I mean, honestly, we're only talking two years and six years, but there's no reason. Like, if you get him for three years at that rate, if you can get lock up Phil Myers for three years at like two million, I think I would. I think I would do that. Um, especially if you're not going to be moving, or if you're going to be unloading some other contracts, which again we've talked about Ghost. And for the record, I I think we both said we're finally at peace with the idea of moving ghosts, but I still feel like it's going to be a thing. Like that dude's going to go get 60 points somewhere else. And everybody's going to be like, well, he couldn't have done that here, even though he you know, pretty much did it twice. Uh, so that it's just going to be like an annoying trade. that I feel like it's probably going to go down. I've seen some stuff about JVR. Um, so if those two contracts get moved um, and they're able to get Phil Myers for pretty cheap for a couple of years, they should be, have a little, uh, be able to maneuver the cap space a, a little bit. A little bit easier, but um, what are yours, Steve? Do you want long term, short term? What, what are you thinking here? How how you feel? I love Phil Myers. I do love Phil Myers. Yeah. I think if you can lock him down long term, then hell yeah, let's do it. But I don't think Phil Myers wants that yet, and I don't think the I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think the yeah. short term deal you talked about, the bridge deal, if you will, is the more likely scenario. Well, and as we've often discussed also, like it's the right-handed defenseman isn't quite a unicorn in this league, but a good right-handed defenseman is not the most common asset that you can find out there. I mean, we've seen the Flyers get some mixed success in bringing in right-handed defensemen this year with Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun. And to find somebody like Myers who's young and he has the, I think, a higher ceiling than certainly Braun... I, I think ideally you wanted to be what Niskanen was a few years back with the Penguins and the Capitals. That's that's a great thing to have, especially if you can control that on the cheap for a few years while you're you're building a, a contending team. Yeah. Also, you have to limit the amount of money that you pay Phil Myers because uh, you're gonna have to pay Petrangelo like a pretty good amount whenever you bring him in here. So they got they have to keep that in <laughs> mind. So then it's we'll PMP talk about music that factory any day now. <laughs> But I like, uh, I feel like, uh, I want to say unicorn is a good way to describe Phil Myers' play exactly. But like, it's, like, I, I know what well, you're saying. I was more going no, no, for I, just a young right handed defenseman. defenseman. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, I was going to say the, I, I feel like this is a, the Flyers are just in a really good spot with his contracts and to be able to pay Phil Myers under market value because he was starting to get some love from other places around the league during the postseason. Like everybody was picking up on how well Phil Myers was playing. Uh, and he had a couple bad moments during the postseason, but usually I felt like whenever we talked about the Sanheim Myers pair kind of messing up, it was more about Sanheim's mistakes. Uh, but My- Myers did have his moments, but whatever, again, young and I dude, think a lot of right that can be chalked up to just it being a young pairing right there. Yeah. And I, I think you look at, I mean, you look at the Stanley Cup final. A lot of the, your all your defensemen need to be quick, mobile players that can also throw their weight around a little bit. And uh, I'm looking at the stars, like guys like Heiskanen and Klingberg don't really throw their weight around, but they can fly around the ice. And Jamie Oleksiak is a bigger guy that can skate. And pretty much everybody on the Lightning outside of outside of uh, Luke Shen are all just bigger guys like with like a motor. So any Phil Myers is of that of that build, and I would. I want to keep Phil Myers on the team for years to come. And again, he could turn into a number one. So that would be the, that that would be the, like the biggest concern was the Flyers are only paying him 1.5 million. 
And then two years from now, he's playing top pairing minutes. The Flyers are cap strapped, and then you have to pay Phil Myers, and it becomes a whole thing. Which, if that happens, well, we got two years of a pretty damn good Phil Myers play. So I'll, I'll take that, considering how far the team got this year and next year. Some forward should be able to score in the postseason. So that should be uh, some co- a couple things we're looking forward to. But running down the theoreticals here, uh, if Myers signed for the 1.5 cap hit. That will leave the Flyers with $6,335,273 in cap space to uh, re-sign a forward slash re-sign Patrick. It would be Patrick and probably like another dead forward. Re-sign Hig and then get another uh, get another defenseman or re-sign uh, Braun as well as re-sign Elliott and another goalie. So you'd have to get four to five more players to that much cap space. And again, we'll see how that works out. Um if you sign for 4.5, it goes down to 3335273 in cap space. And again, we talked about JVR and Ghost on the move, possibly. And if you're looking for the easiest way to alleviate headaches, if you're a Chucky Two Trades, I think you those are the two. Those are like the two. I don't like those are two obvious moves, I feel like, if that makes sense. Like, I, again, Ghost, I know these last two seasons have been fun, but I still... I still think the old ghost is down there somewhere, and maybe it is just going to be a change of scenery that causes it, but it's going to be a really annoying process if that's what happens. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, the other, the RFAs are Hagen Patrick, and then uh, the UFAs are Tyler Pitlick, Derek Grant, Nate Thompson, Justin Braun, and Brian Elliott. So 11 forward signed, four D-men signed, and a goalie signed. Uh, right now with $7,835,273 in cap space. It's a little tight, but uh, they are going to have to draft to maybe move a contract or uh, figure out something. And then again, you don't have to really be necessarily be the biggest spender in free agency this summer. So uh, the Phil, Phil Myers, that was the biggest piece, I think, out of the RFA options. Hag, again, Hag played, I think, over his head this year. Like he played his role well, which is not usually known to do but i don't think the way his i mean if we're talking about myers not having good enough like counting stats like goals assists and everything like that uh heg certainly doesn't have the case to be ordering around a lot of money and um and patrick of course isn't going to get a lot just because he hasn't he hasn't played in over a season now yeah that contract situation is going to be fascinating like i don't even yeah. know i like to just match for a year and see what happens like or do you try to get him on the cheap right now for a few years and see like, and just hope he like is content with having the financial security. It's, it's going to be fascinating no matter what the number ends up being. Yeah. And I, man, if you're, I think you just have to give him, you can't give Patrick any real kind of money just because he hasn't been playing. It's not really (laughs) like if he plays, it's kind of hard to demand more money, but if you've missed over, an entire season of action. I don't know. It, it's kind of hard to ask for a raise, but we'll, we'll see. That'll, that'll definitely well, come to it. I don't think he gets a, I don't think he gets a, a raise unless you're talking about locking Fletcher down term. Real, well, I was going to say, I don't think he gets a raise unless Chuck Fletcher decides, well, this is the time to get him at a discount for a few years. Like, yeah, yeah. That's the only way he gets a raise. And it's not a significant raise if that happens. But I, yeah. I think it's going to end up being like, whatever his last contract was for like a year or two, just to say, show us what you got. Let's, you know, show us that you're the number two overall pick, you know? Oh yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. I think they're definitely going to resign. I'm sorry. Like they're not going to, there's no, 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 no. I, I, I I want to make this clear. I am not giving any credence 
to be, <laughs> I, I know uh, what you're they're saying. not I, going to re-sign Nolan Patrick. Now, I, would, I know, that's in not no way, yeah, shape, he's... or form would I have said that insane yeah. nonsense that is, is quoted by insane people out there. Yeah. Uh, no, no, more what I'm saying is, you know, they give them like, I don't know, a one to two year contract. Just It's a prove it deal. Like it's going to be a deal, but it's, it's not going to be that much money because it's basically saying like, okay, we're not giving you much, but it's short term. So you can show us just how good you are. Prove that you have the skill, prove that you're up to the task. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Yeah. That makes plenty of sense. Yeah. I wasn't, sorry. I wasn't implying that you're saying not the resign them either. I was saying like, I, yeah, I, I feel like they might just do like a year to year thing. Cause again, like, I don't know if they want to, because he just he hasn't played. It's not like he's only played a few games and then he got hurt. Like he literally hasn't played. So if he doesn't play, and you lock him up for three years, and I I know it's very minimal, but that's just dead space for no reason. So I feel like they might just do one year at a time here. But we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe I mean obviously they know more than we do, and maybe they're really confident that Patrick's going to play at some point next season, and they'll throw out like a four year deal worth a little bit of money. But uh, we'll see. That's that's all going to be. They'll iron. I think that might be the last piece of the puzzle when it's all said and done. Uh, like they might do the other moves first. The Myers to me is the biggest one they got to figure out right now, because you can live. And I know, uh, man, I know I'm going to take this in, uh, on Twitter, but uh, we can live without Robert Hag on this team. Sorry, uh, oh, wow. and we can also live with all the the, free the hitmen are up in arms right now, my friend. <laughs> and we can live with. I mean, I've talked to like Pitlick, and I would like to bring him back, especially for the speed aspect. And Brian Elliott is good; he's a fine backup goalie. But uh, none of these guys necessarily need to come back. I would like Pitlick, Grant Thompson, Braun, Elliott. I don't know; like they all don't really take them or leave them, in my opinion. So we all know your team lying for backup. Yeah, yeah, and I've been that way for no. You know who I want, and that's my guy, Cam Talbot. Bring him back. I won the Anthony Stolarz goalie debate, so I want I want Cam Talbot to come back and be the backup goalie and just piss people off. I get like an eight fifty nine save percentage, and then I just always talk about the Cam Talbot Anthony Stolarz trade, and that's all I do about it. Don't admit that Talbot's bad or anything. I just I just talk Hashtag about that. Still tender. <laughs> uh, Anthony still tender the goaltender. I think he's still in Anaheim. Who fucking knows? He's not here anymore. That's all that matters. He's not going to be. You meant vacationing in Anaheim. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what you could call his play this year. Yeah, or he was in the eight. Who fucking knows where he was? Again, I, I, I don't care. I mean, you know, he's uh, he is uh, he's dead to me. But uh, somebody who's not dead to me, and I'm very excited that he's a GM now because he's already figured out that Jim Rutherford's a guy to go after. Uh, Bill Zito, Bill Zito. Let's talk about this trade, Steve, because <laughs> oh, I. I have been on pins and needles about this trade. Like when it almost didn't happen, I, uh, it was deflating. I was gutted. I'm just so, so happy. It worked out. My, I just love, I, I'm happier that the rumor came out yesterday and then they added one more piece to like the deal today, because in my mind, that was just like Jim Rutherford thinking he was pulling a slick one. Like, so the original thing was Hornquist for Patrick Hornquist for Michael Matheson. One for one, no money retained. And it was a rumor that Kevin Weeks threw, I think it was Kevin Weeks, threw out there and for a couple yeah, hours on Twitter, or a couple minutes on Twitter, everybody was like, what the fuck am I looking at? And then it came out like uh, LeBron and everybody else was saying there was a holdup in the deal. And then all that happened was uh, Bill Zito added Colton Sevier to the deal. 
And uh, that's all Jim Rutherford needed. So it wasn't the Michael Matheson contract that was horrible. It wasn't Matheson's underwhelming play, considering how painful that contract is. Apparently, GMJR just uh, in the office yesterday was like, you know what? And hit him with the old razzle-dazzle and get a second player for that shitty defenseman. And uh, that, that'll show them. I'll move Patrick Hornquist, you know, this old aging forward, and I'll get a contract that we also can't move. And honestly... Now that they have the Matheson contract on the books with the Jack Johnson one, I I can't see. I can't wait to see who he tries and trades next. Because if he doesn't trade Jack Johnson, on, I think he's he's all about Justin Braun now, right? Like I mean, he might. <laughs> like they don't have years. cap space. They don't. Okay, let's run through everything. Let's. Okay. Can so I, before you run through it, before you run through it, I just want to say the the reaction from a friend of the show, Pittsburgh Steve. He texted me at 5 p.m. <laughs> when the trade was official. Fucking shit balls. <laughs> That's and it. followed it up with, I just want goddamn draft picks. To which I replied, they might as well just send an intern this year. Yeah, I, that, honestly, that's really... <laughs> I just... Uh, so, let's... Okay, Hornquist. Uh, Hornquist is going to... Pardon now. 34-year-old winger. He'll be 34 years old when... The next season should start at the projection like January. He'll be 33 going on 34 when that happens. And he does have three more years at $5.3 million a year. Had 32 points this year in 52 games, 17 goals. No for, known for being uh, a pest in a power play net front presence. And he is a guy that, I don't know how to, like he is a guy that kind of just go gets his goals going to the dirty areas. And the guy has scored a lot in the past. It's not going to, he, he's not going to find a scoring touch, I think. But, might be a guy that the Panthers could use. Uh, I mean, their power play is fine, and they score goals, so probably not. But the whole reason why you'd make this trade is to help save cap space and free up future cap. Like, like because three more years of Lundqvist at that or uh, Hornquist at that rate really isn't ideal, and it's especially for the Penguins with their window closing, not great. But you don't go and fucking get a defenseman, a twenty-six-year-old defenseman, Matheson, six more years. Four point eight seven five million a year, and also this isn't like he's. I I don't know what to say about Matheson. He was used a little bit at forward this year, so his underlying numbers are kind of skewed. He had twenty points in fifty nine games this year, averaging eighteen oh two a time on attack. His underlying numbers are all right, like they were all right a couple years ago. This year they weren't great, but the whole thing is like there's really not a true weakness when you look at his underlying stats, I guess. But still. I think the whole reason why they got him is because they brought back Todd Reardon, who's supposed to run the defense, and they think Todd Reardon can unlock the untapped potential of Michael Matheson, which maybe, maybe can happen. I don't think it's ever going to be worth the value of this trade. Like, Matheson may end up being an actual defenseman other teams would want on their team, but I don't know if it's going to get to the place where you're like, all right, I want five more years of that for around $5 million. If, and I, I just, like, also get it. Colton Sevier is a 31-year-old right winger. He only has one more deal, $1.2 million. He's not, he's a non-factor. Uh, NHL regular for six seasons, doesn't have a 30-point season, uh, and hasn't. he's only broken 10 goals twice, had 11 goals with Dallas in 15-16, had 11 goals with Florida in 17-18. Um, like, he, his underlying numbers were fine in Dallas, but they weren't. Like, he was kind of, his underlying numbers were indicative of the team he was on. When he was on the Stars, they had, he had better defensive numbers. When he's been on the Panthers, 
his offensive numbers went up and his defensive like shot to pressing numbers sank. So he's not really a guy that's kind of bucking the trend of whatever team he's on. He just like, kind of seems to be there, it looks like. Uh, so again, that's not the end of the world. I just enjoy that that was the deal breaker to get Matheson on the books for Pittsburgh and not like, hey, can you eat some of that fucking contract that's never going to end for Michael Matheson? Like Jim Rutherford was just like, hey, can you give me another bottom six forward that isn't going to help Carlton that much? So... Um, like that's I I love it. I just I don't like really. I was you reading Sean Gentile. One, <laughs> you throw in one more Dale Glazed and I'm in. <laughs> that's kind of what I was reading. Uh, Sean Gentile, but uh, he contributes for the Athletic, and he was talking about like pretty much what I was just saying about how there is a way where the Madison deal is a positive for the Penguins, but it's still always going to be something where you're looking at that contract and also. I think a lot of Penguins fans, to kind of make themselves feel better, they're like, oh, this means Jack Johnson's got to be on the move. they got to move people. And if he's not on the move, fucking LOL. Like, if they move Marcus Patterson or Brian Dumoulin, who are the names that Sean threw out there, instead of Jack Johnson, the Crosby Malkin window is close. Like, if, they're, if they somehow bump up how bad their defense is, and again, I don't even know if this move necessarily makes them worse. He just kind of... Feel like he's going to be slotted on the third pair, and you're paying a third pair of defenseman almost five million, and you didn't have a lot of cap space before, and your window's closing. So, like, there's really not as a fans lot of, of ways. a team, as fans of a team that saw a said team pay a third pair defenseman five million dollars for a number of years, it's not oh, fun, yeah. guys. Oh, it's not good. And again, Matheson, like, there is if you're really looking like being optimistic about, it, there's a way that he could be a tangible player. But I mean, fuck, I'll take this bet. Like if he if he ends up being somebody in five years, we're like, oh no, they got Michael Matheson. At this point in time, I don't see it happening, and I'm not too worried about it. So if that ultimately does work out, this is like Jim Rutherford's greatest. This or the Kessel trade will be his like his greatest moves ever. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Like the guy came in as a Pat, you know, we talk about Pat Gillick for the Phillies, how he took over for Ed Wade and and really took that roster over the top. And essentially that's what he came in as for the Penguins at first. Pretty much came in and was just wheeling and dealing. That team won a couple cups under him and he was looking great. Everybody thought that was a disaster when he came into Pittsburgh. And you know what? He proved him wrong for a short period of time, but he looks like a goddamn lunatic over there now. And he just keeps digging himself a deeper and deeper grave yeah i mean he had a lot of stuff that hit from during those two cup runs i mean i will never get over the 2017 cup run i mean trevor daly was a top pairing defenseman and mark andre Fleur was bailing that team out for rounds like i it's why i have a sleeping problem now is thinking about that cup run but like it feels like every move he made worked out for those first two years and then everything else since has just kind of been eh and also, they haven't been drafting and developing, and the good players are aging, and it looks like the window's closing for a Pennsylvania sports team, and uh, kind of sounds like the other city, major city in Philadelphia is a football team at the moment, which uh, I don't really want to fucking talk about the birds, because uh, they've been uh, pretty fucking bad. But that's I kind of feel like that's what the Penguins are. like. It, Listen, I I don't know about the birds just yet. I, I'm not willing to... I'm not giving to, up. To, to I bury just them fuck. just yet, but I will. All I'll say on that front is, I even before they blew that first game against the Washington football team, I really just my interest in football this year has just been rock bottom, and I can't explain it beyond. I guess I just don't think they're going to finish the season with COVID and everything. I could be completely. It's just a weird wrong. time. 
but I just feel almost indifferent to football this year. And that's wild considering I've been a huge football fan, but no, it a hundred percent feels like the pens window is closing. If not closed, it's, I mean, I guess you can't declare it closed as long as they have Crosby and Malkin on the roster because they are two world-class players, but it's not looking good. And look, Hornquist isn't what he was, but he was, you know, for a number of years, a really important part of the supporting cast there. And Oh yeah, he helps. Man, that supporting cast is thin right now. It It's yeah. as thin as I can remember it. Yeah, I mean, and I will say before this season, I said this might be the year that the Penguins finally missed the playoffs. And then the Penguins finally missed the playoffs. And it took a little bit of help from the bubble play, but whatever, I'm taking it how I get them. But like, Malkin and Crosby still too are they're amazing players. Can't really knock them for that. But they both love getting injured. That's like their second favorite thing next to terrorizing the Flyers is just getting injured and and winning cups to make us all go crazy. But so like if you're banking on those two guys to carry you, there's a pretty safe bet one of them's going to miss about 10, 15 games at some point in time. Uh, and Cro- this year the Penguins were only in that qualifying round because Tristan Jari went fucking nuts and carried that team to, like, 18 wins in the 28 games that Crosby was out. And I'm not, like, he had, like, a 930-something save percentage in that time. Like, he went off. So they're going to need, like, I think we're getting to the point now where the Penguins might be, I mean, if Jim Rutherford can't be done. Like, he has to keep making moves because they, they're really tight on cap space, and they still got people to sign. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it works out, especially if they move, if they clear more cap space than Jack Johnson is in, in one of those deals, I'm going to be excited to see what the Penguins play well looks like next year. It's going to be fun. They still don't have a second goalie, by the way. Like, that's worth pointing out, that they made this move. They lost cap space. Locked up a guy for longer than they would have had Hornquist for, and they still have questions about who's going to be one of their goalies going the next year. That's all just it's fascinating. It's great. I mean, it's wonderful. Um, and if I wanted, let's, uh, you want to, I was going to talk about some other free agent news stuff. Uh, since that is is that time of year, my friend. Well, not it's not actually usually the normal that normal uh, time of year, but this year it is in 2020. Uh, we'll talk about some free agent buzz in uh, late September. Bill Zito. That's the best time to talk about it. Yeah, right when fall starting is the best time to be wrapping up the NHL. That's why I've always pumpkin lattes and free agency. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and speaking of the Panthers and Bill Zito uh, apparently came out today that they are not expecting to keep either Dadenoff or Hoffman Hoffman at the Hoffman uh, at the Flyers clear up cap space could be Hoffman uh, could be a pretty good fit for the Flyers sniper shoot first type of guy would help the Flyers power play and the big thing great social media presence yep it would probably help the team atmosphere bringing in um him and his uh, significant other. I don't even know if they're still together, but I still always think about that Carlson stuff. Uh, but it would also, if you're going to add him to the power play, I think Voracek is not, I don't think he's the problem on the power play. However, if you put a guy like Hoffman in his spot, a shoe first type guy, and you let Drew operate from the top of the left circle, and he's able to still complete some pretty gross no-look passes and uh, get pucks back to the point and over to Voracek with ease. If you have two guys that are just willing to tee off for one-timers and you also put Katori in the slot and you give Drew three options to look at from that circle, I think we'll see the power play go up. Like, if you're looking up, if you're looking at one-timers from either the high slot, the other circle, or the, the point, I think teams are going to have a little bit of trouble keeping up with that. So that would be... It's another re- I mean, like, Ehlers, I guess, really wouldn't be... 
Uh, yeah, Ehlers would kind of fill that role too. That's why we keep fucking talking about Ehlers because he would be another left-handed shot that they could, you know, just throw out there. But Hoffman is a uh, is a is a true sniper. He's a shoot first guy. So I would be all about Hoffman. Uh, Dadnoff, I mean, he does have good numbers. Uh, they kind of went down a little bit this year. I the only thing with him I was I would be kind of worried about. He played with Barkov a lot. So and as we know, Barkov doesn't get as much love as he deserves, and maybe he. Uh, might be kind of living off those uh, those underlying numbers in terms of driving play and production. So, which brings me to another free agent point. I was talking about Brandon Carlo last week. He was in the Craig Custins piece. Uh, I still like him. A lot of Tory Krug though. Uh, his numbers away from Tory Krug aren't great, and also his numbers on the PK in terms of like shot suppression aren't great. So, but if they wanted to add another right hand defenseman, that could help the ease of Niskanen and leaving. It may force Myers to do the the, the the top pair role, uh, Carlo might be the guy. But again, uh, not as good or as much as I have them up last week. Uh, what other free agent news here? Mika Koivu not resigned. Steve, right off the bat, do you have any interest in Mika Koivu? Not really. I, I mean, don't either. Yeah, but I mean, I is he going to take a million be to be the fourth line center? Sure, but absolutely. That is exactly my. That's my stance. I don't know. I don't know what he thinks he's worth now as an old aging forward that is known just for being a defensive stalwart. But he, I mean, if it's not a lot, I wouldn't mind bringing him in for one year to be the fourth line center because 37 year old center, 21 points in 55 games this year, only had four goals back to back seasons with 55 games or less and under 30 points. He had 29 points in 48 games in 2018, 19 with eight goals against. We talked about Nate Thompson. We ripped on Nate Thompson a lot because People liked him because he was a quote-unquote defensive forward on the fourth line. So, yeah, he's always going to be in the defensive zone. But yet he wasn't really doing tangible things to help prevent chances and goals against from happening. And also he was out there on the ice for a lot of cycles against that led the goals. A lot of situations where he could have won puck battles in deep and didn't really do anything to help the breakout or just turn the puck over. So his whole defensive, you know, the role of being a defensive shutdown guy was a little bit bullshit because he just happened to be the guy that was placed in that role. And then pucks just weren't going in, coincidentally, it was on the ice. Mika Koivu actually does tangible things to help shot depression. Like, his, his underlying numbers in terms of just preventing chances against is are some of the better numbers in the league. So, if that's a guy you're going to throw on the fourth line and he plays like eight minutes a night, if they're spending the other end of the ice or just not giving up high-quality chances, I'll take that. I, some of those numbers might be due to him playing with the Wild, but Mika Koivu was pretty much the definition of Wild hockey for a bunch of years, so... Fucking I'll... Craig, you mean to tell me that just because a guy play, plays on the fourth line, plays on the penalty kill consistently, that he might not necessarily be good at defense? You're telling me that <laughs> Pierre-Edouard Belmar and Chris Vandeveldi <laughs> weren't necessarily good at defense because they played a top will... line and the penalty kill? Revisionist history, I will give Belmar the benefit of the doubt. I think he may have been a little bit better. He just had to deal with like, who are the two people probably in the history of fly probably we've made fun of and hate the most? Just, well, Andrew McDonald's up there. But Hackstall and Vandevelde are probably two of the top three. Two of the top five, at least. No question. And Belmar was literally married to both those guys whenever we talk about him. His coach was always Hackstall, and he was always paired with Vandevelde. So, and Belmar has been fine. He was fine in Vegas, and I think he's he's been fine in Colorado. So, I want to give Belmar... 
a little bit of love. But to your point, yeah, it would be nice if he had a little bit of the doubt. I I still think he had an overrated and inflated defensive reputation among certain segments of the fan base. Oh, certain oh certain segments of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. Like (laughs) that's absolutely. I remember there were actually some people upset when he got claimed by Vegas when I was delighted because I thought they were going to claim somebody good. Yeah, I really couldn't believe they did that either, but. Yeah, I think, uh, what was the big word that year? It wasn't, fuck, I don't remember who, what they were supposed to take or who was the best option they could have taken, but uh, I was very happy when they took Belmar. So I was about that. Uh, and speaking of Coyville, another fourth line center that is, I believe, going to be a free agent, set up to be a free agent. I think Buffalo is trying to clear house. Not a sexy name. He's not going to provide you any offense, but for a team that's been pretty bad for years now, not known as a defensive club. He's posted pretty good shot present numbers. Uh, Johan Larson. Uh, 18 points in 62 games this season. Six goals. Seven seasons as an NHL regular, all with Buffalo, has never broken 10 goals or 20 points in a year. Gross, right? But, point to remember that Buffalo's kind of fucking sucked for a lot of years now. Like, he came into the league in 2013-14, which was when Murray, the old uh, Sabres GM was like, oh yeah, we're going to suck and potentially just tank to try and get McDavid or Eichel. And then there's a game in Buffalo against the Coyotes where they lost in overtime and fans openly cheered. So Larson was on those teams and he was a guy that, he, he's a guy that has really good uh, expected goals against numbers and uh, shot depressive numbers. So he'll be a guy that if you're going to bring it, going to pay dirt cheap, under a million, million, and he's going to play fourth line minutes. Giddy up. I mean, I, I don't really care. Like, fourth line center to me, I, I think that would be better as that guy. Filled by a guy like that. Just a guy that you know actually plays some sort of defense and can kind of help keep the puck out of the zone or at least out of high danger areas in the own, in your own zone. I can't believe you're hating on our boy Nate this much. You know, he, <laughs> he Nate won so many face-offs, Greg. Nate NC44? Won. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, face-offs, I mean... I don't really care. I, I don't know. Like, face-offs are fine, but, like, there's so many... When you actually look at face-offs, there's so many times that, like, somebody wins a face-off and then the winger on the other team just swoops in and steals the puck behind them. Like, there's no... I, I don't know. Like, the, it just... It's the biggest thing that people try and point to for puck possession, but then ignore all the puck possession numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like face-offs are one of those stats that there's a little bit too much uh, stock put into. I think there are times when face-offs are obviously important. Like, you're going to want to win them more when you're on the penalty kill or on the power play if it's a late-game situation. But, like, just the cumulative, like, counting, I don't know. They seem... I, I don't know how you're going to regulate Nate Dog like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I wonder if he uh, smokes weed every day. So That's another way Nate Dog reference I got in there. So, uh, that's, uh, that's, a good, that's a good one, by the way. I know somebody out there gets it, so... Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Anywho, uh, yeah, so those are two guys I'm thinking for free agency that I would like to see fill in the fourth line center. Again, we're going to have a little I time with free agency here. I didn't hear the name Alex Petrangelo in there because I Oh, well, we're about to get there. Yeah. 
Oh, good, good. I, so, I was worried that we weren't going to talk about the obvious free agent move that's going to happen. 100%. Bank it. It's happening. Alex Petrangelo to Real the quick, Flyers. Before, before we get into Petrangelo, let's spend a lot of time talking about Craig Aronson leaving the Sens. And I, I don't, he shouldn't be an option. All right, now let's talk about Petrangelo. Petrangelo and the Bruce apparently. Brian Elliott, one and a half million, just make it happen. Yeah, I mean, and like if there becomes a thing where the goalie market is kind of a little, yeah, a lot of goalie tandems seem to be working throughout the league right now. I mean, just looking at a team like the Stars and uh, the Avs for a goalie tandem and a couple other teams, uh, maybe some teams might like, start throwing money at backup goaltenders or other goalies that are like kind of fringe stars this all season, but they, but yeah, I, I'm fine with bringing back Elliot for cheap. Uh, Petrangelo though, according to Darren Dreger, uh, a couple days ago, Petrangelo and the blues have broken off talks uh, and the blues have told Petrangelo to pursue free agency. Uh, the last St. Louis offer I saw was for eight years at $8 million a year. Uh, and I, then I saw somewhere Petrangelo was asking for over $9 million uh, per season. It's worth noting he is 30. However, I don't care. I mean, he's a pretty good defenseman, and there's no fucking... If he comes to the Flyers, I don't care what the money value is. I'd be a little concerned about the term, but the dude, is that would solve a lot of things. With the Flyers. If you put Petrangelo... I'm just thinking, like, you know... Uh, Chris Pronger, Shea Weber level of term from the Flyers. <laughs> Paul Holmgren... <laughs> Paul Holmgren is in the phantom oh zone right God, now, banging against the glass. He's in his plastic Magneto prison, yelling at Chucky <laughs> Two Trades. Make this happen, Chucky Two Trades. I picture Paul Holmgren, if he was GM, I picture Holmgren driving back into the bubble and just grabbing Darren Dreger by the shirt collar. Like, where is he? Tell me what's up with him. Give me info. Like, just yelling, yelling at the to, to throw a third comic book years. reference. <laughs> to throw a third comic book movie reference in there. It, it's basically Batman just going, where is he? <laughs> I'm even imagining Paul Holmgren in full, like Batman, like mask. Batman gear. Where is yeah. he? I don't wear hockey pants. What was, what was he? Yeah, what's the line? Yeah, yeah, I don't wear hockey pants. I'm not yeah. wearing hockey pants. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that would be what Holmgren says. And it'd be ironic because, yeah. you know, hockey pants. But he would be wearing hockey pants. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Um, so, Petrangelo, being a 30 year old with over $9 million cap hit. Uh, He's, I believe that's what he's asking for because that was a deal that Roman Yossi just got uh, because Roman Yossi was one of four defensemen that's going to earn over $9 million in, in cap hit value. Uh, and uh, there's only four of them. Roman Yossi just, for the 2020-21 season, is going to start an eight-year deal where he makes $9.059 million a season, uh, and he is 30. Eric Car- The other three deals are going to make it go over the wolf, but... Eric Carlson, uh, seven more years, $11.5 million a year. Uh, I love Eric Carlson, but I don't know if Eric Carlson's ankles like Eric Carlson. Um, Drew, Drew Dowley, seven more years, $11 million per year. That's, have fun, Kings. And then last but not least, P.K. Subban, who, I mean, I was wrong on saying we should have gotten him. <laughs> Two more years at $9 million a piece because that guy is cooked. That guy is he fell off this. a cliff. He's big time. Uh, and I was I'm so worried just, when the Devils got him, and it was it was all for nothing. I wasn't worried. I just I wasn't. I thought at the time the Subban. I thought Subban's game had not fallen off that much, and also I kind of thought playoff Niskanen was going to be the Niskanen we got all year long. Which if that was the case, not too much difference between Subban and Niskanen. Uh, but that's whatever. I mean, uh, probably seven million was dollars difference or five million. 
Yeah, about five million. Yeah. What was it? Four million. Four million, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna hit uh, the number eventually if I just say every <laughs> number from. What I don't time. remember. I already forget what fucking this cat. But I mean, no point. Is. All, all I'm gonna say is, listen. I know Chucky Two Trades listens. Five points. Chuck Fletcher, Charles Fletcher, the trades guy, buddy. Listen, whatever you have to do to make Provangelo happen, make it happen. <laughs> Look, you get me Proval from Petrangelo in front of Carter Hart for a bunch of years. Eventually, this team's going to fall its way into a Stanley Cup. I mean, even we if they do what they did this year. other defensemen. Just those two guys can play the entire game. Proval from Petrangelo for 40 minutes, all situations. Forwards don't score a single goal in the postseason. I bet you the Flyers still reach like the Eastern Conference Finals. But, like, again... We need to clarify, it ain't fucking happening. I'm pretty sure he's just going to resign in St. Louis anyway. However, the just sure full contract tactics and, and yeah. St. Louis would feel like a bunch of giant assholes if they let him go because I mean he is such a, a pivotal member of that team. Yeah, like after they traded for Falk last year and they gave him that obnoxious contract, and then you're forced into this situation with Petrangelo. It's kind of I think Falk was like an insurance policy just in case Petrangelo didn't feel like coming back, but now it looks like he might be the reason why he may not be coming back. So that was a, that was a hell of a move there by Armstrong. But yeah, that would be a, yeah. So again, a flat probably big fans of Petrangelo would absolutely bring him in. He would be, I mean, if they bring him in, I think I would look for a way to deal. I think I'll look for a way to deal Niskanen then. Oh yeah, I, definitely. You're not, definitely. I, I, I don't think, unless you want to put Myers on the third pair, which I feel like at this point, like, I feel like that'd be kind of like a slap in the face to him a little bit. I mean, like, not like he's a, because he's already, he's been progressing he pretty well as a second-pair defenseman. <laughs> he's been pretty but good. But no, like, if if you were going to make that kind of move, though, it would be necessary for the cap space alone. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and that's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no way they would, the Flyers would be able to slap a church other than have Niskanen and, and a guy like Myers on top of that. So, yeah, if that happens. Ghost would have to be gone. JVR would have to be gone. Maybe that's what... Uh, maybe we'll see what happens at the draft. Maybe uh, Fletcher clears uh, JVR in the Ghost contract, and they uh, haven't re-signed anybody yet, besides, and including Myers. Maybe, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get extremely excited for a little bit of time. I, I am not typically one for these flights of fancy here, okay? I am not typically one we to, both to are lose not. my mind, but this is, like... <laughs> it's, it's a complete pipe dream. But I would just love to see it happen. To see the Flyers just have a a dominant top pair would be phenomenal. But I, I have no actual expectation of this happening. No, me neither. Uh, and again, like we're talking about a guy, he would be the biggest free agent signing in a minute. I mean, it would. He just finished fourth, and we're about to talk about. It. He just finished fourth in the in uh, Norris Trophy voting. So it's not like his game has fallen off, and we have to worry about the age yet. Uh, he's been. Pretty good. Um, and again, if he was here with a better goalie in net and was working with Proveroff, yeah, you know that sounds pretty good. Again, pipe dream, and we don't we don't believe in uh, the pipe dream. So uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about these award winners though, because they finally handed out the rest of them, and uh, we were going to talk about some of the voting here because it's been some of the voting is a little bit interesting, and we can make fun of them. But uh, Leon Drysaddle won the Hart tr- Trophy, obviously. Uh, Won the Hart, Art Ross, and Ted Lindsay Award, uh, the best player in the league voted upon by the players. Uh, first Oiler to win it since Connor McDavid in 2016-17. You would think the Oilers with 11 Hart trophies would have the most in hockey history. Uh, they do not, though. Uh, and those 11 for Edmonton are one for Dreisaitl, one for McDavid, 
and nine for Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Montreal has 17. Uh, Howie Morenz, the famous center in the 20s and 30s, had uh, won three. Guy Lafleur and John Beliveau won two. Maurice Richard only won one, which I think is kind of funny considering he has another trophy named after him, though. Uh, Maurice Richard, Roulier Juliet, uh, Babe Siebert, Toe Blake, Elmer Locke, uh, Boom Boom Jaffrion, Jose Theodore, and Carey Price have all won once. Thank God there's only one French name in there that I could not. I only butchered one French name. Uh, but the Bruins have 12, uh, have 12 uh, hard trophies as well. Eddie Shore, back in the day, uh, defenseman back before people cared about hockey, had four. Bobby Orr, when people started to care about hockey, got three. Phil Esposito and Bill Cowley, a center in the 40s, uh, have two. And then Mil Schmidt also won one. So the Bruins actually have a funnier case of like older dudes that less people know. But those are – I was kind of surprised to see the Oilers were third with 11 hard trophies, and they had the best player in hockey for a while. So that was uh, – I thought I'd share that information. Uh, Dreisaitl is the first German-born player to win the heart as well. First place is 1,309 points in 91 of the 171st place votes, 91 first place votes, 31 second, 26 third, 16 fourth, four fifth place votes. Uh, McKinnon was second, 1,162 points, 48 first place votes, uh, 66 second, 34 third, 15 fourth, fifth and fifth, and then Panarin was third with 889 points and 24 first place votes. 41 second, 54 third, 25 fourth, 17 fifth. Steve, do you have any disagreement with the three of these? With the way they worked out, the voting disparity, any of it? Well, considering I did not win $70 from Nathan McKinnon winning the heart, I have. <laughs> I will say. No, I, I, I have no problem. I, he had. Dreisaitl had a fucking monster season. Yeah, and he did. I, I don't know how you argue against that. I know there have been people who have tried to argue against that. I, for one, cannot argue against that. Monster <laughs> season, dominant season, totally deserved it. Yeah, I, I do believe the whole thing of... Uh, I don't think it shall be based on points, but when a guy clears the rest of the league by a fair amount of points, I, I think he should... He should be getting the award. Uh, I guess the biggest arguments against would be a McDavid teammate, but you know if they're splitting up by his time and everything, I guess that makes for a strong case. And also McKinnon had the Taylor Hall argument, which uh, you know, funny that it didn't work this time around. But McKinnon was further from his the second close, second highest point producing half than any other teammate was, any other point leader on a team was to their uh, the second closest. Um, some of these votes. So Poshnik was fourth. 369 points, three first place votes. Uh, that one, I mean, I don't know how who really looked at the other options and thought David Poshnick was the first one. I mean, I get 48 goals is a lot. One of the best goal scorers in the league. Was part of the best lines in hockey, but I feel like that should also work against some considering you know how good Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron are. And also the Bruins are... The perfection line. <laughs> the Bruins don't have... <laughs> That's how I, when everybody says it, that's how I picture them saying that while the looking at the glasses. Yeah. But saying it the most well Perfection voice ever. by yeah. Kevin Klein. <laughs> Marshan, Bergeron, Pashenik, Passion. Uh, perfection. perfection. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and then, uh, but, you know, so I don't get it. McDavid was fifth, one first place vote, which I thought was kind of funny because it's McDavid. Uh, Connor Hellybuck, again, he, I can really get the case for kind of how he buck. I, I get why he shouldn't have won it, but 
looking at most valuable player and considering the losses the Jets went through in terms of personnel and looking at their underlying numbers, that team needed fucking Connor Hellybuck. And uh, I'm glad he won the Vezna because he deserves some kind of love for the season. He had six with 283 points, three first place votes. Um, seventh was Yossi. Eighth was Jack Eichel, which I think is a pretty interesting argument too because even though Buffalo sucks, Man, I can't imagine where they'd be without Jack Eichel. And, like, Jack Eichel had, like, a huge point streak this season, and it's just a force with the puck and does – creates highlight plays every single time, like, every game. But just Well, and he's the coach and GM as well as the star player. So I yeah, mean, he's the Jackie Moon of the Buffalo Sabres, yeah. So it definitely works out. And, um, and actually, he is the Jackie Moon. He's got the shitty curly hair. He's calling all the shots, and the team is battling to be, like, fourth place. That's He is Jackie Moon. There you go. I just discovered it. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, ninth Jackie is Mar- Moon Eichel. Ninth is uh, Marchand, ELA. Everybody love everybody. Ninth is Marchand. Uh, they all got over 10 points in voting. Malkin was 11th. Austin Matthews was 12th. John Carlson was 13th. Nikita Kucherov, 14th. Ovechkin, 15th. Jacob Markstrom, 16th. Elias Pettersson, 17th. Tristan Jari, Patrick Kane, and JT Miller also got votes. I get Markstrom, Pettersson, and JT Miller to an extent because they were all... They all had a case to be the guy in Vancouver, and Vancouver went from being a non-playoff team to a playoff team that made some noise this year. But I feel like if all those guys finished pretty close in voting, it really didn't have a true most valuable player. Um, and also Tristan Jari. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. Just no. I, so the, I, I don't the, understand any of the Pittsburgh love here. I mean, well, Malkin, he's always going to get it because he's uh, – that The argument for Malkin and Jari would be – like, I already said the the – Crosby missing that amount of time for the team. Oh, gives a shit. Sing. Who gives a shit? Exactly. And also, they didn't make playoffs. So, th- what were they saving? They were just, oh, they played pretty well for a non-playoff team when their best player was out. That's their argument. And it's <laughs> not really, like... You're really savoring saying the Penguins missed the playoffs mm, by oh a technicality. God, uh, oh, but not technicality. <laughs> not a technicality, baby. They were technically considered in the postseason because they were in the qualifying round. And everybody hears round and they're like, oh, postseason. Those fuckers didn't make the postseason. What, what, what was the? They didn't fucking make it, Steve. So I'm gonna keep saying it. They're, they're cute little playoff streak. Thank it. you. Yeah, but that was the whole thing. Is that Welcome. would be that is the argument was just Crosby went out, but like Malkin doesn't. I get the argument for Jari. I don't really get it for Malkin as much. Jari's numbers were he was he was Connor Hellybuck for like 28 games. But that's the thing is Connor Hellybuck was Connor Hellybuck the whole fucking season. And he didn't know he didn't know a player like Crosby was coming back, and also, you know, Paul Maurice didn't really do that much game planning for one player going down. That it was, I mean, the the Jets got pounded every single night in terms of puck possession. They had like one of the worst expected goals four percentages any team's had in years. So they, if they didn't have Hellybuck, I think they would have been the running for a lot for an year. Uh, but they, uh, so Hellybuck may have pulled a Corey Schneider here, which. Uh, I'm sure everybody in the Central Division is pretty pumped about. So, moving on, Roman Yossi won the Norris, uh, first win for him and first win in Predators history. So, no Shea Weber and Ryan Suter never won a Norris. Uh, still haven't. Oh wow! Uh, he won it uh, with 1,499 points, 109 of the 171st place votes. John Carlson was second with 1,267 points, 56 first place votes. Uh, Victor Hedman was third, 820 points, four first-place votes, and 104 third-place votes. So, any arguments with these, Steve? I I do not actually have 
any qualms. And I think right now I'm a little more skewed because Victor Hedman is probably winning the Smith, it feels like. So Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'd be tempted to say Hedman over Carlson, but USC had a phenomenal year and Carlson his offensive numbers were amazing. Carlson is I mean, his defensive numbers aren't great, but dude put up points this year. And as we're seeing with all these trophies sometimes, nobody actually really watches. They just kind of look at the stats totals. So uh, I get it. <laughs> but, I mean, it's uh, tough. Yeah. You only, especially if you're, you know, in a different conference than the, the guy in question, you know, oh, the yeah. top player, you're just like, well, he seems like he's the best. Yeah, it's really, it is kind of funny, though, if you, if you don't use analytics and you want to shoot down people that just look for point totals for defensemen, I don't really know what you're grading on. Again, because we've seen eye test people make some pretty outlandish arguments that you feel like, You're you know. grading 100% on reputation, and that's it. Like, yeah. eye test, I feel like, is shorthand for reputation half the time. Where it's like, well, that guy's uh, a choker. Well, that's that's a reputation, <laughs> and that's just kind of like a gut feel. Like, eye test might as well be gut feel. That's kind of, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about him. But, and, like, with that said, I Roman Yossi was pretty damn good this year. Uh, and Ryan Ellis was good too, but Roman Yossi was, I mean, logged a lot of minutes, uh, put up some points. His underlying numbers were really good, and he was, I mean, he may have been a big part of what was keeping Nashville together there. So I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Nashville is so I I don't know what to think about Nashville going into next year, but whatever. I'm not a Predators fan. Yossi's, Shout out to Amen. Yeah, <laughs> Yossi's a Yossi's a great defenseman. I, I'm glad to see him win it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he deserves it. And he probably isn't gonna be the last one he'll get. Um, and Victor Hedman, again, he, I mean, he's going to be a force for years to come, and is just having an unbelievable playoff uh, run here. Uh, Petrangelo is fourth, finished fourth with 527 points, got one first-place vote, 104 fourth-place votes. Um, Alt Flyer got a little bit of love here. Ivan Provorov tied for 17th with Chris Letang in voting. They both received two fifth-place votes. I don't care. Still got recognized. Um, and again, Provorov, like we were just saying, the thing with Provorov, he is never going to be in the running for Norris. Norris Trophy, because he is never going to put up points, and he, he actually I shouldn't say that he did score seventeen goals. He will score goals and did lead the league in, uh, for defenseman power play goals, but he's not going to put up a gaudy amount of points. Petrangelo. What if you get Alex Petrangelo right. next? All right, him, then, okay. You know, then, now, now we're cooking. Yeah, now we're, yeah, okay. That's fair. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and also, but I hear you. Numbers. I hear you. Like he's not the flashiest guy. Like I think not flashy. The, like, Closest the Flyers have had was uh, Shane Gostaspare a couple years back had a tremendous year, and I think he ended up. Oh yeah, like ten. I think top ten in votes was it even? Yeah, top I think so. I, I remember Steph six? Uh, sharing that and talking about it. No, he. I I think he was tenth. Okay. I think, but well, like, but top ten still though. I mean, before that, maybe like when Pronger was here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, but see, the, but Provorov too. It's not. I don't think he's ever going to have Carlson type numbers like Carlson had this year. So he's never going to get like a shoe in, in that way. Uh, his underlying numbers really aren't great either. So he's not going to really win that argument over with a lot of people. So unfortunately for him, he is going to be an eye test guy. And as we saw with uh, like Sean Morris pointing out a couple of weeks ago, there are there are already some people that when they're watching Provorov, they they're not a big fan of his game, or like they're picking up on all the little mistakes he makes all the time. And I think that's more you're just watching the same player, and he's one of the biggest minutes loggers on your teams like he's one of the guys that's going to be playing all the time so if you're watching him over and over again and you're getting tired of him you're definitely going to expect him to make certain mistakes then when he does that just kind of reaffirms what you already believe and yada 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 but i mean um i think pro rough should especially if when they bring for in uh 
maybe, yeah, maybe Pro Ralph numbers go up. Maybe he finally hits that 20 goals in a season, gets a little bit of love. Who knows? We'll have to wait for that time to come. But I wanted to point out that it really does come down to points to some voters, though, because Tony D'Angelo finished 12th with five points, got a fourth place vote and two fifth place votes. Um, and again, no. Like, he had an amazing se- uh, season in terms of production. I think he had 15 goals, 15 goals, and was one of a handful of defensemen that did that. But doesn't play defense like he doesn't actually play defense so i don't know <laughs> like that would have been again we're calling him tony angelo from now on because until we see some uh some of that defense he's not he's not going to do in the first part of his name that's my that's my stand uh and connor hallibuck and the vesna first win for hallibuck first win for the thrashers or jets which i mean that's just shocking isn't it that somebody finally won an award for the thrashers organization but I mean, it was a a storied organization. Everybody loved the Thrashers, admired the Thrashers, wanted to be a Thrasher. And I know everybody secretly has a Thrasher sweater in the back of their closet. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag never forget you on Hedberg. So that would have been the guy that brought back uh, the Vezina to Atlanta, to to Atlanta. But uh, Hallie Buck first with 123 points of voting, 19 of the 31st place votes, uh, nine, uh, nine second place votes, one third place votes. Rask. Uh, was second with 99 points, 10 first-place votes. And Vasilevsky was third with 31 points at one first-place vote. I I, I think they actually got the Vesna voting down, honestly. Like, just also with the disparity in voting, I feel like that's how it should have gone. Like, Hellybuck should have gotten a lot of the love, and he should have gotten the most of the first-place votes because, again, he was the Jets. Like, Laurent Brzois' numbers were pretty bad. And you look at any kind of advanced stat on... Winnipeg's defense and all of it was not great. Like all of it was not good. Neil Pionk played better than Jacob Truba, it looks like, and that was that that's like the one positive. Not that he really played extraordinary. Like it was just he happened to be better than the guy they traded away. So shout out to Connor Hellybuck. Uh some of the other people near the top, Jacob Markstrom, who had a pretty good postseason too, uh finished fourth with seven points, one second place vote. Four third place votes. Elvis Merzlikens, you boy, uh, finished fifth with four points, uh-huh. one second place vote, <laughs> and one third place vote. And again, he's a guy I get. I get those votes. It's not a jarry. I mean, he like he was a big part of. He's a big reason why the Blue Jackets got into the postseason. Um, Robin Lehner uh, finished sixth with a second place vote, and then seventh place came down to these three guys. And then we're going to talk about Carter Hart real quick. Uh, so they each got one third place vote. Jordan Bennington, who went 30, 13, and 7 with a 912 save percentage. <laughs> yeah, my guy. Yeah. 912 save percentage, 2.56 GAA, and three shutouts. Tristan Jari, 20, 12, and 1, 921 save percentage, 2.43 GAA, and three shutouts. And Darcy Kemper, who was 16, 11, and 2 with a 928 save percentage, 2.22 GAA, and two shutouts. Carter Hart was 24, 13, and 3, 914 save percentage, 2.42 GAA, and one shutout. So he had two better GAAs than two of the goalies that earned a vote. Um, more wins and you know, points accumulated for the team, and also had a better save percentage than Jordan Bennington. Couldn't quite get that nod. Uh, and uh, I think Bennington was rep- reputation, I think. Because he also should oh, have yeah, been in the yeah, playoffs, I, and like, yeah, he just. Wasn't I think this the same is all guy. reputation. I think it's Tristan Jari, like Kemper again. Like, well, 
I feel like Jari's got like this weird like following from Pittsburgh, and for some reason the because he's not Matt Murray <laughs> loves Pittsburgh. Yeah, but and also like I guess Kemper's got a little bit more of a reputation, but. I am willing to bet that Carter Hart, as long as he follows up with a similar, if not better season next year, will be much higher up because I think a lot of people took notice of Carter Hart this year. I think they did. In the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I mentioned earlier Myers' profile, I guess, nationally or outside of Philly may have gone up after the postseason. Hart's definitely did. I mean, if anybody that followed this postseason, they, they know the Flyers actually have a goalie now. It's a little bit fucking scary because, I mean, I'm not used to saying that. But, yeah, it looks that way. And uh, he will be up there next season, especially if everything goes fine and he just improves his game. Uh, I think. Uh, Weird, I mean, wild stuff. <laughs> again, Jari, again, I think is that whole thing without Crosby. Kemper, to me, was, I thought, Kemper got hurt in, like, December. And then, like, he, like, this, these are all, like, early season numbers for him, I believe. And then. Still got a vote, so that's a little interesting. I mean, he he had a little bit of like the Hellybug vibe going on for a little bit, where he was a big part of why Coyotes winning games early on in the season. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, that all those votes I feel like could have gone to Carter Hart's head, but it is what it is, and he will get he'll start getting some love next year. I think he will. I'm kind of getting like the Katori a couple years ago in the Selkie kind of voting. Yeah, I think he's gonna finally start working his way up the ranks there. And just think, Couturier was in no way worthy of the Selkie this year because he played bad defense. It just never played defense. Yeah, exactly. That's and we all said it, and I mean, you could point it out a bunch of times. Yeah. Why give it to Sean Couturier the year he stopped playing defense entirely? Yeah, I mean, I miss the old days when he couldn't finish, and that was the big slam. That was always my favorite thing when people would slam on Couturier, and they're like, "Whoa, he never finishes." It's like, yeah. He also took the puck from the D zone with like Ronaldo and Adam Hall on the ice and almost scored. Like, isn't that is that worth something for like a guy in his early twelve? That's not anything worth. All right, whatever. Uh, Calder, let's uh, talk about the Calder now. Cal McCarr wins it, third Av ever to win it, first since Gabriel Lindeskog in 2011-12, and then Chris Drury in 1999-98. Uh, finished first with 1,538 points and 116 of the 170 first place votes. Also at 54 second-place votes. No votes for third, fourth, or fifth. Uh, Quinn Hughes was second with 1,337 points and 53 first-place votes. Uh, 111 second-place votes and six third-place votes. Dominic Kublik was also third with 554 points. Uh, no first-place votes. Two second-place votes. 75 third-place votes. Uh, and then 48 fourth and 21 uh, fifth place votes. That's kind of how I expected the voting to go in, in terms of Kublik. Like, he was clearly the third option. I'm kind of surprised that, I mean, I thought it was going to be a little bit close between Makar and, and Hughes. A little bit. Uh, but it seems like Makar kind of won in a landslide. Not total yeah, points, but like I'm a little in terms of first too, and second but... place votes. I, again, I think it's it's not so much eye test as reputation because everybody would just hear. I know I heard, you know, and I'm on a completely different area of the country than where McCarr plays. But I heard fair. nonstop about how friggin' great Kale McCarr was. Where I heard a lot of hockey people talk about how good Quinn Hughes had been. But that is I, true. I think just based on overall reputation, like Kale McCarr was the like breakout hit of the year. I think that's yeah. That's a yeah. That's a good way to put it. Because and the Avs were contenders, so we heard about him a lot this year. McKinnon 
pieced together a pretty good fucking season too. So right, it, it was, was very easy to talk about team. the Avs. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about the Canucks when the Avs are out there with McKinnon just destroying everybody and McCarr being like this just offensive dynamo on defense and so young, you know, it's like coming out of nowhere and you're like, Holy shit. Yeah. I do think, I, I think Hughes got, uh, Hughes got some votes for, um, the Norris though. So him and, and McCarr was higher up on the Norris, obviously, but he, they'll, they'll both get, I'm not counting out Hughes, will not get a Norris anytime soon. He's going to, people know how good he is. And the playoffs helped really, again, like we were saying with Hara it's like the playoffs helped get Hughes a lot, uh, on him too so i think he'll get a lot more love in the building going forward uh some of the other options adam fox was fourth and got a first place vote which to whoever did that tip of the hat that's actually a good vote i'm not that this isn't sarcasm adam fox i always say that the rangers don't play defense because they don't except adam fox might be the only person i'm actually worried about right now on the rangers blue line uh again anthony d'angelo is going to put up points we also saw how good he is at defense in the playoffs so like i'm you know uh, Adam Fox is the one I'm kind of uh, more scared about. Uh, 430 it's a good points. Thing it's not a personality test, or he would not be even close. Oh no, absolutely! Yeah, he'd already be out of the fucking league by now. Uh, one first place vote, one second place vote, 45 third, uh, 52 fourth, 32 fifth place votes for Fox. Elvis once again has left the building and found his way onto the Calder voting. Uh, fifth with 215 points. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood was sixth with 164 points. And again. Kenzie Blackwood getting six in Calder voting. We don't, we don't have Carter Hart on here at all. Anybody? Nobody? All right. Uh, John Marino, <laughs> John Marino, Nick Suzuki, Ethan Bear, Janice Gurionov, Ilya Samsonov, and Matt Roy all received votes as well. I can kind of get, I can, with five votes to give out, um, I can get how all those players also received uh, votes as well. We saw good Nick Suzuki was in the postseason. I threw out John Marino's name. Uh, as a possible option as well going into the season. Um, Ethan Bear was, I mean, Ethan Bear put up a lot of points with the Oilers, but his defense is kind of suspect, whatever. Dennis Kirianov, we're seeing now how good he is. Samsonov, we saw how kind of important he was for the Caps because uh, he wasn't in the bubble. And then Matt Roy. Matt Roy was kind of a surprising one, but he, I mean, the Kings suck, but he was, he had an all right season. All things considered for being a young defenseman on the Kings, he actually did have, a pretty good year. Um, so, shout out to Matt Roy. Uh, and as for the trophies, I'm talking about the uh, Stanley Cup final here, Chief. Honcho? Big Phil? Sure. Throwing all these names at you. <laughs> no, just throw them all. <laughs> yeah, pal. All right. Uh, like every aggressive, like, 80s movie. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you're just challenging them to, uh, yeah, to ski down from the top of the mountain. That's, uh, yeah. So, Stamco. I want to talk about the Steven Stamco. Because I oh, feel man. like that's going to be a, what a that's going to be like moment. a Stanley Cup lore thing forever. Because that was, oh my, we've been hearing about him pretty much all postseason. How the lighting were this good without him comes in, plays on the fourth line with uh, Maroon and Paquette, uh, Cedric Paquette, plays two forty seven in game game four uh, game three. Sorry, all five shifts in the first minute, one shot attempt, one shot on goal, fucking snipe the shot far side corner. And everybody on the Lightning lost their shit. Like, just everybody on the ice lost it. I put the bench reaction in here, too, if you see if you didn't see that. But, like, John Cooper did, like, a fist bump and was laughing. Like, everybody lost their mind. It was amazing. Amazing. And it really is. Pete Blackburn, who's on Twitter, 
tweet this out, and I kind of wanted to see if we could run through some names here. I really was trying to think about it. I just realized I kind of hate most of the league, but he said Stamkos is probably the least hateable player in the league. And I feel like that might be accurate. He is an elite player playing in a market that it's really hard to hate him because of the team he's on. Never really does anything douchey. And also just keeps getting like absolute shit luck with injuries. So like you just want to see him come back and be fine. And that's what last night was. He hasn't played since February 25th. What is it? Yeah, February 25th, uh, 211 days since his last game. And then obviously wasn't 100% because he just didn't play from the second period on and still pulled that off and everybody was ecstatic for him. So, Like, it's phenomenal that he scored a goal, let alone that he scored a fucking highlight real goal. Oh, it was not the, the pass from Hedman to him in the neutral zone was great. He worked his way again around the Lindell. It was a pretty nice move. And then the shot was just it was it was all very Steven Stamkos. And to only have two forty seven of Steven Stamkos playing time since late February, and that was the result, is it's just remarkable. Like that's that is something that's gotta be the highlight from the entire time in the bubble that we're gonna we're gonna see on clips from years to come. Especially if the lightning end up doing it, which Kind of feels like they might now, but um, to the least hateable player subject in the league, real quick. Pete Blackburn's a, a Bruins fan, so of course he had to mention Patrice Bergeron because well, you know why not. Uh, and I feel like that might be another good choice because I don't know if people actively hate Bergeron, and he plays on a very hateable team because everybody hates the Bruins. Everybody I hates Brad hate Marchand. Bergeron, but I hate that he wins the Selkie every year. I was really happy. You know what? That year. is fair. There, there's probably a, like there's probably a bunch of like uh, Flyers fans and uh, yeah, like Blackhawks and uh, and Kings fans from the last few years that probably hate Bergeron because he just keeps winning the Selkie over their players. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe that. You know, I find I'm just throwing this guy out there for like a, a very unhateable guy out there. Anse Kopitar. Kopitar is a good one. I don't, I don't I don't have anything against Kopitar. And the whole thing. Like how like, could you? It was also like, yeah, he was also a lot more likable when the Olympics were going on because he's like one of eight people from Slovenia and they all play hockey and they have 10 rinks on like a country that's 10 feet wide. So like they, it, it's just like, yeah, it's really hard to hate Anze Kopitar because he's just, he's lived hockey. Like he's been about hockey, grew up in the most like obscure place that has a hockey following and just panned out and is... I think everybody will want Kopitar on their team. Maybe not now. Well, actually, no, he's been fine. No, he's still, I mean, he's still producing pretty well. So it's, I mean, he's the, he's probably the best player on those like shitty Kings teams right now. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no, he's still, yeah, he's still the best option. Uh, the only one I could really think of, and again, I was thinking of teams that I hate that I didn't hate the player. Um, Phil Kessel. And also actually to that matter, Henry, Henry Lundquist might also be somebody that, uh, May get some of the. We may be too close to that because we've had to watch a lot of Lundqvist two nothing two one games where he's just being an asshole out there and pulling off all these circus saves. But objectively speaking, you know, it, I don't know what you'd really hate about Lundqvist. Jealousy, maybe. I mean, good looking guy. Jealousy. That's probably about it. Yeah. So I mean, in that case, fuck him. Yeah, because you know. But uh, Kessel was another one I thought of because he was on the Penguins, and uh, I mean. Outside yeah, of Steve I mean, Simmons, I don't know who really. Uh, I, I never hated Kessel, but man, I did not enjoy having him score against the Flyers. And it's always tough with Kessel because, like, 
he just looks like this slob, like a guy who just never got <laughs> yeah, his talked. life together. <laughs> Obviously, he got his life together because he made millions of dollars and eats all the hot dogs he wants. It's it's a dream life, really. But it's it just looks like a guy who rolled off of the futon in his mom's basement and said, yeah, I'm going to score some fucking goals against you today. <laughs> yeah, it looks like whenever he's going into a game, it looks like he literally just woke up i mean it's a i mean hey and he really just doesn't apparently he's like pretty committed committed to training but like he just doesn't have he just never looked like an athlete which i mean it's kind of inspiring for us normal people you know to see that he's made it despite looking like a goof so uh shout out to phil kessel but uh I, i'm really i can't think of uh any i i spent like five seconds trying to think of somebody else too kessel is the only one but i think longquist is a pretty good that's a pretty good one as well. Um, I got, I mean, yeah, I got nobody else. I, I really, I'm struggling here because I'm trying to think of the teams that I hate where I didn't hate, did, didn't mind players. And uh, just, oh, Kimo Timonen. I get Kimo Timonen was pretty likable. I don't know how I much recognition got around that week, But I mean, like people were pretty pumped when he won the cup. So. Oh, I got a good one for you. I got a great one. Okay, there's no no option is going to beat this one. Zach Ronaldo. Oh, Everybody loves Zach every, Ronaldo. Just a touching story. And when he won the when he come won Consmite that one year, and then brought it back to his hometown, and took it to all the children hospitals. That was the like I'll never forget Zach Ronaldo doing that. That was it. Really touched a lot of hearts. And um, yeah, he's pretty like I know, guy. bro. <laughs> okay, all right. You just <laughs> I hate you. But God damn it, do I respect you, Jacket? Do you understand that? I mean, that's a great... You just wanted me to say something, and then you're just going to throw that at me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Nikita Kucherov scoring a lot of points, by the way. Talk about he's that. really good at hockey. He's not bad at hockey. And I've been trying to say that for years, and people have been saying he's bad. I'm like, guys, just watch him play some hockey. Uh, Kucherov, well, 91 playoff you know points. What's, I was going to say, you know what's funny, though? We were talking about how, like unhateable the current iteration of the lightning really are because they really are not that hateable uh it's funny that the one team that has really embraced disliking tampa bay and wanting them to openly lose is the carolina hurricanes who decided to change <laughs> their their colors to to dallas stars colors for the remainder of the uh oh, <laughs> like that's uh, that's pretty- actually fantastic <laughs> troll job the the social media people over at the carolina hurricanes do a great job that's that's phenomenal yeah, no, they are. Yeah, they are. They're pretty good with the uh, the tweets and the tweeter and everything like that. The tweets, the tweeter, and the Twitter. So uh, Kucherov, though, came back into the hockey talk. Uh, Ninety-one playoff points is the eighth most for a Russian-born player. Did in eighty-seven games, uh, and he's the only player in the top eleven in, in terms of Russian-born players in playoff point production uh, to do so. Uh, in less than 118 games. So he's the only one in the top uh, 11 for Russian-born players in playoff scoring that's played under 100 games, and if you push back even further, less than 118 games. So top seven, the guys in front of him, and I, unless he goes ham here, he's, he's going to be stuck in eighth. Uh, Sergei Fedorov, first with 176 points. Malkin, second with 169 points. Ovechkin, 131 points. Sergei Zuboff. 117 points. Uh, I always forget about Zuboff. Uh, Pavel Dotsuk, really? 113 points. What, that he's up there or that I forget about him? That he's up there. Yeah, 117 points. I mean, he was on he was on some teams that had deep runs, and he was a guy that just scored, like, just got points. Like, he was on um, Rangers for a bunch of years, 
when they were decent, they're good. Yeah, and then the stars when they were on the on their runs, I believe. Yeah. So like, I guess it's a guy that like wouldn't jump out to you, but he was he was there for a lot of good teams. Like he was just kind of there. Um, the Patrick Maroon defense. That's that's a little bit of a slow on. That wouldn't be fair. Uh, Pavel Datsuk fifth, 113 points. Kovalev 100 points, and Igor Larionov with 97 points. So again, if he gets seven more points with uh, four games to go, first of all, he might winning the Cosmite, and also that would put him into seventh, but he'll have some time to climb up the ranks here. Uh, he, I mean, with the rate he's going, and with how well the Lightning look like, it, he might move, like, he's going to be moving into at least 100 points next year, I think. He might be moving into the top. He'll be six at least, but yeah, so Nikita Kutrov, pretty good at hockey. Um, and then I already talked about I think the I, I think it's willing down to just Victor Hedman being the Cosmite. I really, like, Point and Kutrov have really, really good cases. I think it's kind of hard to look at what Hedman's doing right now. And especially if he keeps scoring goals. Uh, he's got 10 goals now. Hedman is one of three D-men with 10 goals in a single postseason ever. Uh, Paul Coffey had 12 in 1985. Didn't win the because uh, he was uh, on a team with Wayne Gretzky. So I kind of think you know where that went. Uh, but Oilers won the Cup in 85. Uh, Brian Leach had 11. In 94, he won the Conn Smythe and the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. And see, I think Zuboff was on that team. Uh, and then also, a little fun fact, or not fun because it's uh, the Flyers in 2010, but uh, on hockey reference, Bufflin is also counted for it, but he played forward in 2010 when he scored 11 goals. So no defenseman is scoring goals, uh, as many goals as this. And it's not like those two teams, I mean, Brian Leach and Paul Cawthor are part of some pretty loaded teams. The Lightning are pretty loaded, too. Uh, but Hedman is... Hammond's the best defenseman on that team, clearly. Uh, And he's pretty good in all three zones, yeah. And it's not... I feel like he's also been creating more than just the goals, and I feel like he's been playing pretty well in his own zone. So he... I really think he's got to be out there. He might be the guy that comes home with it. Uh, And again, Kucherov and Pointer killing it as well. Out of those three, I don't know who... I don't think anybody else in the Lightning is going to get it. It's not like Vasilevsky's been stealing games and nobody else on the defense should win it if Heaven doesn't. And I think those are the best options up front. Star, if the Stars come back, I don't know who would win it for them. Uh, because Miro Heiskanen has... His point production has slowed down and also had a fucking horrendous turnover last night at the start of the game. I mean, that... Uh, it was uncharacteristic, but... Still did it, and it was it was a pretty big pizza right in the middle of the ice for Kucherov, just kind of casually stride in and dunk on uh, on Kadobin. Uh, and speaking Great. of Kadobin, there's, there's one option if the Stars come back and win it, and it's the guy who's going to celebrate it with crawfish and beer. Dad, I mean, I was going to say he's been looking bad though. I don't know if they're even going to go to him. The next it doesn't year. matter. It's be. all about the celebration. <laughs> it's all about the cell. Yeah, Sophie. It's all about <laughs> the celly. That bishop comes in, helps them the three wins, and they're like, "Yeah, but you, did you see that pic of him shirtless and sweating with the beer and stuff? Yeah, we're gonna give it. He's still getting it. It's still Doby, baby. Yeah. So, but his his numbers this series have sucked, and also his numbers in the AB series sucked. He just went off against the Golden Knights. So that's why I like this Stars series. This Stars run is just weird because they had an uncharacteristic goal score, uh, goal scoring surge against the Abs, and Kadobin looked like ass, and then. Against the Golden Knights, they somehow shut down the Knights' offense, and Kadoma looks great. And then, like their scoring also disappears, but they're able to score on like six shots over two periods. And then this series, uh, yeah, Kadoma's kind of falling off, and it looks like the wheels might be uh, falling off a little bit here for Dallas. I mean, they look good in Game oh, One. Wait, 
I got it. I got it. So if the stars come back and win it, you give the consmite to Thatcher Demko because he wore down the Golden Knights and completely just destroyed their, <laughs> their mindset before they played the stars. Okay, it goes to Thatcher that Demko, clearly. Galaxy brain consmite vote right there. That would, I think. This that is why really they good. pay me the small bucks, Craig. <laughs> By the way, I did write an article before about how I thought Eric Carlson should have gotten some consmite love in 2017, even though he wasn't even in the fucking Stanley Cup final because it's a whole playoff. I'm going to well actually everybody. It's a whole argument for the whole postseason, and that dude was the Senators that year. Like, that team was ass. They would have been a lottery team if he wasn't on, on that roster. And he, we all watched him drag them to a goal from the Stanley Cup final. So I thought he should have gotten some some more love in, in 2017 in terms of that. But Thatcher Demko, that's a good one, too. I mean, uh, as we're about to talk about, uh, the uh, – the mental side of this uh, this postseason has been weighing on the players a lot. So you throw in a goalie that's just going to absolutely deny, deny every scoring chance you uh, get. I mean, that might slow you down for the next series. So Thatcher Demko, I'll take that. That's a good argument. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, other The other interesting note I had here was, uh, according to Dan Rosen, Joel Hanley, who opened the, uh, the scoring in the Stanley Cup final is the first D-man to score his first NHL goal in the Stanley Cup final since Jim Hake did it with Pittsburgh in Game Six of the 1991 Stanley Cup final against the North Stars. Also, the fifth D-man to do it since 1927, when the NHL took sole control of the Stanley Cup competition. So, I just want to get that little bit of uh, interesting news out there. But uh, Steve, uh, you ready to uh, talk about uh, edibles and uh, drinking and stuff and everything? About what's going on? Hashtag in the, the bubble life? Let's enter the bubble. So speaking of the bubble, one thing that isn't related to uh, Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan's article about uh, life in the bubble, according to Frank Saravalli and according to the NHLPR, in the eight weeks in the bubble, the league has conducted 32,374 tests without a single positive COVID-19 result. That's impressive. I, honestly, I mean, it really is. Honestly, I'm giving them credit. I really didn't think. I'm, I'm shocked by that one. I think none of us expected the NHL to pull this one off. Yeah. And it, it's looking great so far. I, they've done a really good job with the security and keeping guys safe. And, and no matter what we talk about, about the conditions of the public we're about to go into, at, at the bare minimum, they accomplished the goal of keeping their players safe, which they, is, yep. is that is mission accomplished. That is the top thing that we needed them to do to, to not feel bad about watching this and enjoying yeah. hockey again. And also just that their responsibility as a league, they, they fulfilled that responsibility at least thus far. Yeah. And it, it also seems like it, it, it seems like they're, they're not withholding any, anything. It seems like they were legitimately going through this. There haven't been like any sketchy, like guys leaving the bubble or players leaving games suspiciously. And then, you know, they're out for two weeks and coming back. It's, it all seems like it actually has gone smoothly smoothly without a single positive test, which, again, I'll keep saying it, I really didn't think it was going to happen. I thought they're going to have a huge issue with the transition transition for players going from the small practices into the bubble, and I thought there was going to be a huge outbreak then. Not a huge, but like a couple players on a couple teams, and then they're playing in exhibition games and it kind of spreads like that. And like it, I thought it was going to look kind of like the Marlins earlier this year, honestly. Uh, and luckily that never happened. And once you got into the bubble with no risk of, uh, I guess, spreading it, and everybody actually followed the rules, which, according to this article, they did, it worked all according to the plan. Which, again, 
I never expect the NHL to do it. I really am surprised they pulled this off. So props to them. But uh, yeah, players felt very safe, uh, according to some insiders. Not insiders, just uh, anonymous players from both the Eastern and Western Conference. So kind of get an idea of what was going on in the Toronto and Edmonton bubbles. Uh, apparently, everybody was respecting the mask rules. The rules were enforced uh, pretty heavily, and also nobody wanted to be that guy that was shown during, you know, doing whatever and just didn't have their mask on. They didn't want, like, to be the guy that had, like, the bad optics for the league. So, I mean, if everybody has that mindset, yeah, it'll probably also help you uh, play some games in the bubble. I mean, we've already seen coaches get fined in the the NFL for not following proper mask rules. Oh, yeah, I saw some of that, yeah clearly not having the same mindset. And these are coaches we're talking about. We're not even talking about players. We're talking about, I think John Gruden and I think Pete Carroll, other coach uh, might've been Pete Carroll might've been Sean Payton. I don't know, but there were a couple of coaches yeah. that were already fine. And I, I know. Sure. Yeah. Fine. Three of them. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Like pretty big fines. So, and that's, I think that's strictly a, that one might be a strictly optics one. Although, I don't know. They're getting close to people I'm talking about. A little bit of combi. So, yeah, a little still. bit of combi. Yeah, yeah, still. Not great. Yeah, just wear the mask. Uh, but anyway, uh, the league, in terms of uh, life in the bubble, wasn't exactly uh, didn't exactly come as advertised for some of the guys. Um, league made a bunch of promises on food and accommodations. They didn't hold up. Uh, and then they talked about how some teams had unfair come with, like, the difference in accommodations was kind of unfair for some teams. Like uh, one anonymous player said teams like Florida didn't really have much in the way of this or that in the bubble, but Montreal and their little practice area had wraps and smoothies and everything ready to rock and roll. That's a team that's got deep pockets. So I guess, you know, if Ed Snyder was in the bubble, the Flyers would have had like the finest, the most elegant food up there. Probably like a movie theater. Like they would have had all this extra amenities and shit. So I think I also read there was a discrepancy between the the top seeds hotel and the lower seeds hotel. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. So that would be. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. But again, uh, you know, that would have been uh Florida and Montreal been living in that same uh would have been living in the same type of type of life. Florida was a better seed, so you would think they'd be eating better than uh. I mean, I can I can very much relate to them on the disappointment for food trucks i've been to many a beer fest where i was told there'd be top-notch food trucks and there's only one or two and they're not that good and you're just you're drunk and hungry and it's it's a bad time that's but see that's how they get you because they know you'll be drunk and then you'll just be hungry and as soon as you see food it doesn't fucking matter what it is you're just gonna show it right in your face this is a collective view i'm not speaking this isn't a personal attack on you i'm saying like you know when you're hammered either way it's true I get, yeah, that's that's the main thing. You get hammered and you just get hungry. That's like the biggest one-two punch in the history of human life. So, uh, if you food have truck blood heavies, you will eat anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that is exactly. Again, never eating a little Caesar's pizza sober, and I can I intend to keep it that way. <laughs> it's not sober. It's DiGiorno. <laughs> oh wait, no, I did once, and it was recent, but that doesn't count. Uh, one of the biggest, uh, also had issues with, uh, golfing and fly fishing. Uh, apparently there were supposed to be like, uh, it was a whole thing where you had to schedule the round of golf and you had to have the whole team buy into it. And then, so like, and one of the players laid out like, okay, you're not going to get a whole team to go out and do a round of golf between games three and four, the second round of the postseason. So that was pretty much a, like a lie. And then they also had like fly fishing. Probably had like fly fishing, like a poster or something on like a pamphlet or on like the pro shore for like things they could do 
in the bubble, and then like somebody told Wachinski and Kath, I'm like, you let me know if somebody actually had had the ability to go fly fishing. They were like everything they showed us on the brochure and stuff was like all like three hours away, and wasn't like really near us. This is a book of lies. <laughs> Uh, and then also on the biggest moving goalposts, which again, I'm surprised this wasn't a little bit of a bigger story too, but, uh, grudge from the players, uh, about the matters of, uh, families joining the bubble. So the NHLPA and NHL agreed that families would join by the conference finals, but later said that they couldn't get government exemptions, which prevented any non-Canadian families not living in Canada from coming to the bubble without doing a, without doing a 14 day quarantine. So at that point in time, like you're talking about getting them up there. Getting them to Canada for for the lineup, you'd have to get your family to come up to Canada while you're still in the second round. Banking, you're going to win that round. Pay for them to stay in a hotel for two weeks and then go into the bubble. So again, something that would never have lined up and just couldn't have worked. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you're not really around your family and you're pretty isolated and there's not a lot to do, uh, players uh, pretty much just got fucked up. It sounds like for a little bit of time. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing that really struck me about this article was just the psychological effects. We talked this a little, uh, we talked a little bit about this in the wake of the Flyers losing uh, to the New York Islanders and certain players just not seeming to be with it at all. And yeah. I, I think we kind of, as hockey fans, underestimate the psychological effects of what these guys were going through, uh, being away from their families, especially again the guys with uh, young kids, young babies. Yeah, you know, missing yeah. some milestones and it's, it's, it's tough. And these are again, human beings. These are people. And it's, it's an unusual circumstance for sure. Yeah. And I know they make a kajillion dollars and everything, but uh, there is something to being isolated away from everybody and just kind of no real outlets or ways to kind of take your mind off the matter at hand. And it's a, it's just a weird time right now in general. So to not be around loved ones and also to just kind of be, I mean, they were pretty much just used as props. Like, I don't know. Like I kind of get where the being like the depression and like anxiety or just want to get the fuck out of the bubble angle comes from. Cause again, it's their job and shit, but like, uh, I, I don't know. Is anybody going to go like, is anybody else doing this for their job? I don't know. Like, just since quarantine has started, just move to another part of the continent and isolate yourself from loved ones and everything. And then just kind of have to go through the motions every day and expect to, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a huge thing that I get that. I, you, I mean, yeah. we've all been losing our shit stuck in our own houses, let alone having exactly. to go to a hotel without all our usual shit. Yeah. You can bring a ton of electronics and shit with you, but it's not the same. And if you've got family at home and you miss them and you can't see them for like two months, yeah, that, that, that just fucking sucks. Yeah. And again, like I'm talking about the play, apparently all of, you know, the players that take it seriously and there was drinking, but it was never like, they were talking about how guys weren't like getting hammered the day of games or like games the next day or anything is usually just players like pretty much drinking after the game or they would drink some on their days off. So, uh, and then on top of that, uh, they were saying that, uh, yeah, some players are doing edibles, uh, on the drug front items of choice for cannabis oh, gummies. No. <laughs> the only thing. A gummy. Really... <laughs> Uh, the only thing that he really saw advertised was guys that were into their gummies or edibles, and that was usually just used in their rooms. Uh, yeah, and they said it was pretty Sometimes much not like... Chill. 
Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they weren't even doing that. They weren't doing the whole uh, just waste a day and get you know fucked up and just kind of hang out in a room. They were just doing it to pass out. I'm which this just this just sounds like being thirty. This whole thing. yeah it sounds right? relatable. Yeah, drink I on mean... your off day and <laughs> drink on your off day and the occasional the occasional gummy to relax. Yeah. Hey, just once you're not actually doing work, you just yeah do something to take the edge off. So uh, all that I get. Uh, sex non-existent. Also, I get that too. Uh, players were saying they didn't want to be the guy that fucked it up for everybody else by uh, bringing in somebody to the uh, the bubble and possibly spreading COVID in that manner. So there weren't there haven't been real issues with. Uh, I know there's some guy on the Rockets that I think like like actually brought like the COVID test uh, person who like to their room and that was like a whole thing because you know but I, I don't think i didn't hear anything about nhl players doing it so the whole drug second sex and rock and roll thing uh it sounds like it was just some drugs probably not a lot, a lot of rock and roll because everybody was depressed and then nobody was having sex because uh yeah you know there's just not a lot of loved ones in the bubble i guess so uh yeah uh on top of all that stuff hotel bills at checkout were rather big and I also think I also thought there'd just be something that was just comp the players. Like, wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> they got charged. Uh, according to the uh, Eastern Conference player, guys checked out, and the room service bills were in the thousands. Thousands, says Eastern Conference player. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It's like you go to a resort and you swipe this card, and then you see your bill at the end, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Some guys were really burned by that. So that was something I wish the NHL teams would have thought more of. I wish meals would have been available. Yeah, so that's the thing. Is like it was definitely a bait and switch. Like the whole thing was. I mean, again, it was just the league just wanted to get the players in the bubble and get the season done, which I get to an extent. Um, and then they just didn't really hold up their end on terms of like how they're going to make life easier in the bubble. But they did ultimately get the season done, I guess. Uh, a couple of the other things people talked about was uh, the weird thing of like staying around the team you just played and being in a playoff series with people like being in the same hotel building with that playoff team you're playing against uh like a, a whole bunch of weeks so like uh you know players are talking about how they would see an opponent in the hotel lobby the day after a game and then you would talk shit and it wouldn't matter because you were all about to go to your own flights and get the hell out of there but there wasn't as much of that now because you'd still have to see that same guy for the next week or a couple like <laughs> week and a half so it was it like the tension was there but they didn't i guess want to escalate it too much like you call a guy a piece of shit and then you have to ride the elevator with the next day and it's just got the yeah exactly. <laughs> it's just sitting there you're just glancing at the i had a game now. three <laughs> and you're, you know you're gonna see him like 10 more times yeah so uh and then also the crowd noise stuff uh was kind of interesting uh players said it was an adjustment players also compared it a little bit to minor like a minor hockey game because there wasn't there was no live crowd noise, and apparently the what they hear is a lot more faint than what player or fans hear on TV. Uh, and even the Golden Knights went to say uh, went on to say that the lack of crowd noise kind of hurt them because they're used to a pretty boisterous crowd in Vegas and all this kind of shit. Um, I think that's them just kind of damage control for uh, you know falling out against Dallas, but it is what it is. And we all know the Flyers didn't know to shoot without the fans telling them to shoot. Hey, look. You know what, fans, you don't shoot, and I'm sticking with the conditioning theory. So, Flyers win the Cup in 2021. I mean, that's boom, bam, bang, or whatever that saying is. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, and then uh, they found the pumped-in crowd noise uh, more amusing than distracting because there was stuff where you would hear the, 
like the stuff we've picked up too, where like very minor things happen, they add in like a huge like shush from the crowd or like something, and it's like that wouldn't be the reaction in a real game and uh, just stuff like that. Uh, as for the bubble next season, uh, it doesn't seem like it's happening. Players were pretty pissed about uh, just this setup, and uh, they reluctantly. But the problem is, is they reluctantly then said, "If we have to, we will." And I mean, the league's going to look at that and be like, "Well." said he would and then the league's going to use that as leverage against them and make them look like the assholes if they don't come and play the bubble next year like they did this time around like and like what the league usually does to the players so uh we might be seeing more uh, bubble hockey down the the stretch here it seems like all players are okay with the idea of just doing it for the postseason again and then having no fans in the stands for games um but we'll see again we'll see what happens there and that's all stuff that'll be ironed out uh, and again, it does sound like the season could start anywhere from early to mid-December to mid-January. Uh, and I saw some places hinting at the week after Christmas being the start of uh, the NHL season, which I think will be a little interesting, but they can... I don't know how they would get 60-plus games in that time. Because the lockout short season in 2013 started in late January. So if they do January, that was 48 games. I don't know where you're shoving 12 more games in there with like one more week. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And again, some teams haven't played are going to be pushing on not playing in nine months if January is the case. So it's going to be a lot of stuff up in the air that we don't know about going in to next season. So, um, yeah, one more serious thing, Steve, and then we're going to fuck around for a bit. Uh, Sender's new logo. Did you look at it? And if you haven't, you already know what the logo is. And I'm kind of a fan of them bringing it back because I think all Senators jerseys have sucked. So if we're going for one, may as well go with the nostalgia. Yeah, that's the best one they've had. Yeah, it is the 2D logo. Well, because the stupid 3D logo just looked like uh, a bland character turning its head. That's all it looked like. It looked like the base CGI character was turning its head. It was just... (laughs) It was horrible. It was it was so stupid. So you might as well make it look like the back of a quarter and uh, call it a day. Yeah, just get it. Yeah, just get out of there. So that was uh, and again, I'm fine. They're gonna unveil the jerseys on October sixth, according to the team's press release. Uh, these are the jerseys that they had the uh, brawl with the Flyers in. Uh, I think of Ray Emery, Jason Spezza, and Daniel Alfredson and Chris Phillips in these jerseys. Uh, it's a Daniel Shara, baby. It's a Daniel Shara too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, um, Braddock Bonk. Yeah, that was another guy that was, uh, pretty big there for a while. Wade Redden. Uh, Jesus Christ, Wade Redden is, Wade Redden is the correct answer for a random Senators player from that era. Yeah, holy balls. Uh, and Volchenko was there too, yeah, I think for a bit, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I also thought it was weird. They changed those jerseys after they went to the Cup in 2007. I feel like that's a weird time to make a jersey change. And I'm trying to think of other teams that have changed their jerseys recently. And I don't remember any team that went to the cup. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We need new uniforms. Nobody's invested right now. Let's just try and lure people with a new look. So, Because uh, the Penguins did it recently, but they won in 2009. And I think they changed in like 2014. And even five right. years after. Let's all be honest. It was a, a vastly superior jersey they changed back to. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, And again, that was nostalgia too, going back to when they won cups in the 90s. Um, so uh, let's get into fucking around now, though. Uh, don't be serious. This is a very serious podcast. Everybody knows that. Uh, Gritty's second birthday. 
Love them. That's what I got to say. I, I just wanted to talk about how we went into, we did the podcast where we knew Gritty. We didn't know Gritty at the time, but we knew the Flyers were going to have a mascot. And I remember being very reluctant about it, being very hesitant. Didn't like the idea. I only wanted him to be a complete asshole. And if he was an asshole, I'd love him. And he's a complete asshole. He is a true Philadelphian, and I love him for that. So he's, he's filled gotta... the promise, and really, <laughs> it, we thought he was just a horrifying monster, and he ended up being our horrifying monster. So yes. happy birthday, Gritty. One throwing stuff on uh, Rangers fans and uh, just taunting opposing fans all the time. Pretty good on Twitter. It does a lot of funny stuff. Big fan. Potentially punching kids. You know, all the fun stuff. Potentially punching. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, sometimes the kids deserve it. That's what they don't. Yeah. So that's not true. Don't be good. This is Philadelphia. Outdated take. So uh, Nolan Patrick uh, apparently goes by the name nickname Baby Cat. Did you know I, this? Is that a thing? I didn't know this, and I, I saw an Instagram yeah, you go ahead, where yeah. it was his birthday, and Kevin Hayes said, Happy birthday, baby cat. I was like, what? What does and that mean? Somebody did a thread of, uh, oh my god, I forget who did it now, but somebody retweeted a thread of just a bunch of pictures of like Nolan Cat compared to a baby cat, and uh, I kind of get the similarities. It's something with his hair and face. I, I kind of get it. Doing it does kind of look but like a Thundercat. Yeah. He does, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. With Snarf. Yeah. He, does, he looks a little bit like Snarf. Uh, it doesn't really look like Snarf. But, yeah. Snarf, Snarf. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> snarf, Snarf. <laughs> happy birthday, Nolan Catrick. <laughs> oh, babe. How long have you been sitting on that one? Did you? It's just a uh, minute. Okay. All right. And then when he finally plays, he gets three goals. It's the Catrick, Catrick. Or the catcher. Oh, hell yeah. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. 20, uh, 2023. Uh, so what, Steve, this is, this is a story I've been wanting to talk about ever since you sent me the screenshot of this ring update. Okay. Is it the ring? Yes, yeah, I, you, you got to explain it. And I've go... been dying to talk about this. This is my, my last major contribution to tonight's podcast. I, I've been dying to talk about this. So I am obsessed Ever since I got a, a Ring doorbell, I've been obsessed with the network of Ring updates that I get. And they're usually pretty bizarre. I've seen people get into fights in the comments. Uh, usually it's if there's a <laughs> firework, somebody goes, is that a gunshot? Uh, stuff like that. Missing animals. Uh, hit, I've been seeing a slew of hit and runs this week. So who the hell knows what's going Whoa, on what? on the Ring network? I, I, I don't believe half of it. But Okay, right. This one was amazing. So I got this one the other day. The headline was stolen bucket of hard boiled eggs. The update. I had five gallon bucket filled to the brim with hard boiled eggs that was sitting on my stoop to air out before I brought them in for my wife and I to eat for supper. Someone took the bucket and ran off with it. If anyone sees it, please let me know ASAP. Not too concerned with getting the bucket itself back. Really more concerned with getting back the hard-cooked eggs. All right. Can we... Oh, boy. If this is fake, oh, a lot if this is fake, here. this is fucking elaborate. Like, this, this is, is Shakespeare-level writing, in my opinion. This is fantastic. I, I, like, this is stuff I could the imagination. Yeah. thought to make up. Yeah. Like, okay. Number one. Who needs an entire bucket of hard-boiled eggs? That's no, a no, no. lot. Not, not, not just a bucket. A five-gallon bucket. Bucket. A five-gallon like, bucket filled to the how, brim with hard-boiled yeah. eggs. 
you know how many hard-boiled eggs I can eat in a sitting? Maybe like <laughs> one to two. I really can't eat that many. Oh, yeah. Because you get tired of hard-boiled eggs very quickly. This is a five-gallon goddamn bucket. And this is what him and his wife were going to eat for supper. For su- yeah. This was their dinner. And why, why was it airing out? What did, were these pickled eggs? I don't understand. Yeah, maybe I. there might be some misaccurate description of what's going on. I, I mean, if but you're still. eating pickled eggs, if you're eating a five gallon still, bucket of pickled eggs for dinner, not great. Either. I don't know what your digestive system looks like, but it can't I, be good. Five gallon, like I think I've topped out. Can you imagine I, the farts? Terrible. I do too. Like I wouldn't want to actually. Like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe somebody stole the bucket to prevent the toxic fumes <laughs> coming out of the house later that, that yeah. night. They were thinking green, and they just took all of the. All the hard-boiled eggs away, so it would have destroyed the ozone layer. But, like, five gallons. The last time those sons of bitches ate an entire five-gallon bucket of hard-boiled eggs, the sewer gas smelled for two (laughs) weeks. just... Some other neighbors looking out their window, and they're like, uh, uh, Tim, they might eat the eggs again. Can you you see if you can get the bucket away from them? On it. Not on on my watch. This is not (laughs) happening. I just, like, I like five-gallon bucket. Filled to the brim. I mean, he, that thing was chock full of these fucking hard-boiled eggs. You could, you could, hard-boiled eggs as far as I could see in this bucket. Just as many hard-boiled eggs as you could imagine. Just five gallons worth is just, also, if anyone sees it, please let me know ASAP. Like, you're going to sit on that info and then tell them in a week if, if you saw, like, random hard-boiled eggs. And the whole fact of, like, <laughs> more concerned with the hard, hard-cooked eggs and not the bucket. You it's know, like, I'm what's the situation? The bucket. Like, once that bucket, number one, why is it outside? I need to know why it's outside. But yeah. once that bucket is off your porch, once somebody swipes that bucket, you don't want the eggs back. You definitely I, don't want the eggs back. Also, also, if you're getting the eggs back outside of the bucket, how did they find the eggs? Well, we got to start asking questions about, like, if you're finding a bunch of hard-boiled eggs on the ground and you're like, you know what, let me pull up the ring real quick. It's gotta be some of my neighbors. And then you're like, you know what? I found your 47 hard-boiled eggs. Do you want them back? <laughs> Let me pick them up off the ground, and I'll bring them right on over. Like, there's just so many moving parts of this. I fucking love this update. Like, this is... it's. I couldn't wrap my mind around it all after. And again, if, just, this is, if this is a Jerky Boys level prank, bravo. I'm props. impressed. Yeah, let me know if you have a Twitter account or a blog. I can Whatever you... Wherever you're writing is, let me know. Because I will... You should be hired by... A, the onion immediately we'll bring on sb nation right now <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but just like i a uh, five gallon bucket five gallons I, five gallons of hard-boiled eggs the fartiest food you can imagine filled to the brim i don't even think like if i just Were they peeled I, had to have been oh, like, i, actually, just I don't know i i don't like, know it's yeah, I, I feel uh, physically ill thinking about this bucket. <laughs> like it's just—I don't understand. Like, just so many questions. I feel like the person saved them time if they were still, you know, if they still had to like peel them. Because you just save them a bunch of work. I don't know. You can go out and get another five gallons worth of eggs and hard boil them. I guess like, they so just does someone sell it by the bucket? Like, oh, there's your bucket of eggs. Yeah, I was gonna say, what are hard boil egg man's coming on? Who's just yanking them out of like a? Also, that's pretty timely. Like, I also want to know how long it was outside for. Like, there's no way because if you're airing out for dinner, I feel like it's got to be 
Why does it need to air out? <laughs> <laughs> they had to. Have, they had to have done it wrong. They somehow must have fucked up making hard-boiled eggs and then it led to a terrible smell. And they're like, oh, they just have to get outside immediately. Or maybe they just wanted some sunlight on these eggs to get them. I don't, you know what? I get them ripe. We could be here for hours trying to. We, could, we honestly could have just done an entire <laughs> podcast on this the egg mystery. Food maybe that we have so many topics. That might be the thing. That should be our fuck next week. It's just breaking down every which way that this just doesn't make sense to me. I would love well, to I, discuss this further, I, and I I'm willing to. We might but not yeah, tonight. This, but if it's not another episode, we might make this another topic for like, next week. I'm willing to start an entire serial style podcast. <laughs> podcast. Sarah, what's her name? Sarah Conan? Is she she Can, Canning Conan? I don't know her name. I forget. And people diehard serial podcasters are going to be pissed at me now. They, uh, but whatever, I don't care. Uh, we just need to get her on and then put in some piano parts behind, just asking questions about hard boiled eggs. I already got the name of the podcast. It's Eggtown. All right. Uh, <laughs> so Eggtown coming soon to your Broad Street Hockey feed. We'll in- investigate the entire history of the hard-boiled egg bucket. How it got there. How it disappeared. Where is it now? We will get to the bottom of this. Well, I was going to say, oh, God. I was saying, like, uh, if you lived on Spruce Street, Street, just be scrambled on Spruce or something. Like, there has to be some kind of alliter- alliteration with eggs and the philly street name so but uh we'll, we'll figure it out we'll iron this out on the on the fuck next week that we do 40 minutes on just solely based on this story <laughs> so. oh boy oh boy yeah. egg town coming soon all right folks <laughs> that's all we got and it was quite a bit craig what to go around the league and head on home yeah let's uh do around the league real quick uh bob bugner Name the uh, Sharks head coach now. Uh, the boogeyman was given the interim tag back in December when Peter DeBoer was fired. Now will be the full-time coach for the Sharks, who uh, God knows when they're going to play next. Talked about Casey Zizekas leaving the bubble, and that was due to a detached retina. Yikes. Uh, apparently he's going to be out six weeks, but it uh, doesn't matter. The Islanders are out, so he'll be fine. Uh, Jared McCann stays in Pittsburgh for two years, $2.94 million a year. Talking about the Penguins' cap space, a uh, 24-year-old forward had 35 points, 14 of which were goals in 66 games this season. Logan O'Connor stays in Colorado for two years, 725k a year. 24-year-old right wing had two goals in 60 games this season, 24 points in 40 games with the Colorado Rock- Eagles. I must have Rockies. Uh, Eagles in the AHL. Uh, Jake Evans stays with Montreal, uh, two years, 750k a year. Three points in 13 games this season for Evans. Uh, Michael McCarron and Yakov Trenin have signed deals with the Predators. McCarron, one year, 700 k for a 2020-21 season. He's traded to Nashville from the Canadians for Lauren Defen in January. Uh, Trenin, two years, 725 k a year. He had six points in 21 games this season. Daniel Sprong stays with the Caps for two years, $1.075 million uh, cap hit each season. Uh, traded from the Caps... Uh, trade to the Cavs from Anaheim in exchange for Christian Juice. Uh, six points in five games with Hershey this year for Sprung. Uh, Curtis Lazar uh, stays in Buffalo for two years at 800K a season. He is a bust. And then Cody Franson has signed an AHL deal with the Rockford Icehogs. Split time between Chicago and Rockford uh, in 2017 18 uh, was an alternate for the uh, Ice Hogs that season spent the last two seasons with Avangard Omsk in the KHL, 43 points in 98 games, and 
and also lost in the Gagarin Cup Finals in 2019. So, Steve, that is around the league, and uh, this, is a, this is a big one. This is a big boy. This was a doozy, guys. and I yeah, this a doozy. for that. I, I will, absolutely. Yeah, that motherfucker <laughs> that stole that five-gallon bucket, that five-gallon drum of just hard-boiled eggs, he's, he's at it again. That's I'm Mr. Bucket. The eggs fell out of my mouth. All right. That's all we got. We got to go. We got to get going. It's late. I got to edit this and somehow sleep. Folks, if you have any feedback for us, the best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach Craig at Sports Are Bad. Yeah, uh, I said I was going to do draft stuff this week. I uh, did not. So I will hopefully do draft stuff for next week. Uh, and I will be chipping in on we're doing uh, uh, community drafts uh, at Broad Street Hockey. We're flying through the picks. We're doing two picks a day. I will write, be writing about Jack Quinn right now and probably be writing more about some of the other first round picks that will come up before the draft. And again, I am still, th- I do want to do articles that like looking at other guys, possible Flyers picks, like picking out a couple names and uh, throwing together one or two articles this week. And then I might want to, I think the fly probably before the draft will also do that too. Previewing a bunch of guys that I think could go in a couple of slots uh, that the Flyers have. And then, Maybe still doing a solo podcast where I, I talk about some of the guys, uh, but that is all. I mean, we'll we'll figure that out when we get there. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting time in twenty twenty. Let's say that. Yes, quite a year, the worst year imaginable uh, ever. Yeah, just an awful year. And uh, on that note, rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, we truly lost a great American. I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, I certainly could say quite a bit, but uh, rest in peace. Craig is sports are bad on Twitter. You can reach me at flyperbole or at SJBomb, but for your hockey needs, make it flyperbole. Follow BSH Radio. Follow Broad Street Hockey. And be sure to listen to all of our great Broad Street Hockey podcasts. Folks, I'm exhausted. Wash your damn hands. Wear a damn mask. And in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night and good hockey. Wow, 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 wow. Hello everybody, this is Flyperbole. It is a podcast about hockey, mostly the Flyers, but also other hockey things, like other hockey teams that play the sport of hockey. Steve! But not Steve Hartnell and Craig, but not Craig Ruby. No, this isn't all those hockey guys. These are the guys who watch the hockey sport. Yeah! Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly 
Eye on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh showed. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports channel.